<laughs> Dear mother, I regret to inform you I have no scope to my <laughs> Yes, right into the sea. I shan't be reform I shan't be returning home. Hello podcast friends, this is Chris. I'm unusually for the Crate and Crowbar going to begin this episode with a sort of brief kind of disclaimer warning about some of the technical issues we hit while recording this episode. It's basically never happened to us in a couple of years, 190 episodes of this podcast, but today or yesterday when we recorded, we did finally hit some computer snags, uh, stuff we, we didn't see coming to do with disk space and caching on our audio software. Luckily, uh, my worst fears didn't come true and we didn't lose the episode. Actually, we kept the vast majority of it. However, um, we lost a chunk of a discussion about Dawn of War, which is going to cut off in this episode immediately after say, after I say, this isn't going to be a long bit, but, and for once in my life, that's actually true because I, we cut off and go straight to questions because uh, we lost that chunk of discussion, but maybe I'll, I'll return to it at a different time. Um, the bit where this gets confusing is twofold. One, we lost a random chunk of a discussion about Far Cry 5 that I didn't want to lose the rest of that bit because it was only a small piece, but it was a bit about the context with Far Cry 5, which has now been more formally unveiled, and um, the political themes that it's touching on. And we kind of sk- skip from the start of that discussion basically to the midway point of it. And then later in the episode, uh, I think I referred to some things that were discussed during that bit. If you're half listening, which I imagine most of you are, you won't notice, but just in case there's some confusion, there was little chunks that have had to be kind of little gaps that have to be smoothed over as we kind of piece the episode back together. Um, as I say, though, the vast majority of it is fine. It's just these are a few small things. Where it gets a little bit more confusing even than that, however, is uh, we caught the technical problem about midway, actually before we recorded the question section. Um, and at the time, I thought the problem was much worse than it actually is. I thought we'd lost an entire chunk of the podcast about what remains of Edith Finch. Uh, it turns out we didn't, which is great. It means we've got it in the episode and you can listen to it in, you know, an hour and something from now. Um, but it does mean that for the rest of the episode, I particularly refer back to how we've lost this discussion, which you as the listener to the real episode won't have lost. Uh, I, like to think that when something goes slightly wrong on the crate and crowbar, it kind of snowballs. And even though we've not had a, a, a technical problem to date, and hopefully we'll have another one, um, somehow we've managed to turn this one into more of a kind of cascading uh, clusterfuck than it would even have been if we'd had simply lost an episode. So uh, you're welcome. I'm glad we could reclaim most of the two and a half hour chat with some rad guests i hope you'll enjoy but yeah and also apologies for any lawnmowers barking dogs birds neighbors etc um it's extremely hot in bath so we had to record this one with the window open so we didn't die of sweating something else that i wanted to bring up right before the episode begins and i will let you crack on with it shortly is that this has obviously been a very difficult and upsetting uh and painful week in the uk uh in the aftermath of the manchester bombing and there's no getting around that at the end of the episode, we do have a discussion about how games as a medium particularly can feel deeply off-putting on the whole in the aftermath of a real tragedy because games so often present even highly abstracted violence and death. Uh, all pop culture does this, but games trade on, on conflict and, and often that's violent. Uh, in that discussion, I think we, we don't arrive at a conclusion because I don't think 
anyone's ever had an adequate answer to the question of how much and if uh, violence should be presented in pop culture and what is appropriate and what isn't. Um, except to say that it is perfectly reasonable to not want to engage with those themes when something like this has happened. And it occurred to me in editing the podcast, that discussion takes place right at the very end, that these same things are expressed through the podcast that we produce because we are talking about video games. And in the course of talking about video games, as we have done for 190 episodes, we will inevitably uh, be flippant about violence and death because those are the things that are presented in a kind of normal and uh, harmless way in a video game. And that uh, is pertinent to this episode in, in terms of our discussions about games like uh, Tokyo 42 and uh, Far Cry 5 and uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, which obviously is a game about mortality. And so I wanted to basically just put a little content warning at the beginning of this episode, not because I think any of the discussions are out of the ordinary for the Creighton Crowbot or games media more generally, but because in a week like this, I wouldn't blame people for not wanting to engage with discussions about violent games. So that's all I'll say, and I'll let you get on with the episode. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll catch you next week. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and this afternoon I am joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And special guests from Smack. Smack. Smack, yeah. Smack. Matchik Strakowski and Sean. Hello. Totally right. Your surname. right. I was like, I don't get this wrong, don't get this wrong, don't get this wrong. And then I got it wrong. Yeah, you screwed yourself with I all did. those wrongs. Yeah. <laughs> you get it right. Yeah, get this right. Sean, right. Turns out saying wrong to yourself over and over again doesn't mm. make... Okay, we uh, get it. We get this. Yes, yes. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, neither am I anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, gents. Thank you for joining us on this absolutely beautiful afternoon yeah, that we've decided to spend inside. In beautiful bath. In beautiful bath. It's glorious mm. up here. Yeah. Temporarily yeah. beautiful bath. Enjoy <laughs> the small slice of it you can see through our <laughs> desperately necessarily opened window because it's really, really warm in here. Is it worth clarifying that we're not all in a bath together? <laughs> um, it's never been previously necessary in the, okay. in the episodes of the podcast, but maybe finally we should lay that one to rest because that, that rumor has followed us around. Um, we will have to do the YouTube video a bit differently this week, though. Yeah, that's, yeah, we'll have to, there's a few smoke and mirrors to kind of avoid catching that illusion, which is now, which is now gone. So we're, we're quits I'm on that sorry. one. That's okay. Um, you know, we've, we've all made mistakes on the way to this journey to this point. Um, so, you guys are having a very exciting week because your game, Tokyo 42, is out next week. It's yes. really insane. Yeah, Wednesday on Xbone and uh, Steams. <laughs> PC, uh, PC Steams. <laughs> Under Puck and Xbone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, PlayStation coming a little later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we're gold. Um, oh, we gold. Although yeah, we have always game believe in, in your soul in <laughs> reviewers' hands at the moment, and they are doing some QA for us. Yeah. Um, so whilst we we say we're gold on Steam, we, they are kind of daily updates as mm. you know, as some reviewer requests some feature or other. Um, <laughs> Good features, yeah, worthwhile requests, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's always a weird process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah this brilliant. is. Am I right in saying this is your first game? Mm -hmm. That's a speculative voice. It is. Yeah. <laughs> It's it is our first game, and it's our first time we've had, you know, um, fanboys requesting keys constantly, um, going through that, all that rigmarole of desperately wanting some people to have keys and use them, but, but then also fending off the thousands who we don't want to have keys because yeah. we can't afford to give that many keys. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of like push pull. I think thing. before you do that, you think like, mm. well, what does it matter if you give some keys to some people who like aren't who they say they are? Like, yeah. it's not that that big a, a loss really they're probably not gonna buy it anyway yeah. and then you discover how many of those false requests you're gonna get yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. just like thousands 
So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the game's being published by Mode 7. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say from a PR perspective, Tokyo 42 is being published by Mode 7. I'm supposed to mention the name. <laughs> Just as keep saying the name. As we've, we've received yeah. the same um, feedback on the podcast is to repeatedly yeah. drop the full name of the game you're talking yeah. about because people zone out. It's yeah. Not, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 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 Definitely um, a reasonable thing to do. And they've, they've set up a portal for people to request keys. Yeah. Um, so we just Email kind of divert it. everyone through that. Mm. Um, right. So can you summarize what the game is for anyone who's not familiar? Sean? Sure. Um, Tokyo, <laughs> Tokyo 42 is a isometric action shooter game. Uh, it's, it's set in an open world rooftop rendition of a future Tokyo. And, um, basically you inhabit the body of an assassin. Uh, well, actually a regular person who's forced into being an assassin, uh, by being framed for a murder. And that all makes sense. It, once you yeah. <laughs> no, it seems agree. like a, I mean, you're forced to double down, like <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, if the name doesn't ring a bell, but you have seen the game, it's the one with the really lovely, like neon colors, very tiny scale. Yeah. Like, it, people are tiny mm-hmm. and yeah. it looks very much like a model to me. It looks like a kind of like a thing you'd have on your, coffee table yeah it's got like a sort of tilt shift effect um, yeah it's like this really colorful version of tokyo mm. um and the gameplay is kind of um you know we, we've spoken about it being like a mix between gta and uh syndicate um but for us it was there was also a lot of elements of worms so it's like an isometric physics-based combat um open world adventure mm-hmm. thing um uh yeah with uh really tiny graphic they we, we're calling it like um like GTA for ants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? GTA for yeah. ants. Um, if, if someone hasn't played the first 41 Tokyo games, is this an issue? <laughs> well, we, we, we might hear a bit more about, um, uh, Tokyo 41. Yeah, it's predecessor, but, um, but <laughs> can't we, really say too much about okay. that, right? We're now. not supposed yeah. to talk about That's that. That's a weird, um, PR direction to be going in where you're not <laughs> <laughs> refusing to talk about the predecessor. Yeah, <laughs> we're not really, we're not ready to talk about previous games in this series at this point. It's um, the Benjamin Button PR strategy. <laughs> um, but it's like, I mean, you know, Tom said Neon, but it's more like a pastel. I mean, I remember because you, you guys came on the PC Gamer weekend mm. live stream back in March, yeah. February. Jesus. Back in the ancient past, we don't talk about the past at all, yeah. <laughs> in any circumstances. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's daytime yeah. cyberpunk, right? Which is a sort of interesting. Mm. Yeah. Based on yeah. We wanted to turn, turn the whole thing on its head. Um, just like in some respect, just to kind of stand up, but also because, you know, doing, doing cyberpunk, there's, it's very easy to get caught in the trap of the sort of stereotypical dark noir stuff. And that we all know so well, you know, the neon that's, and you know, don't get me wrong. I still love seeing, you know, every day I see some new artist do some sort of rendition of that. And it's awesome to see, um, especially the pixel artists, they do amazing stuff. Um, but we wanted to kind of turn that on its head and do like a really bright daytime version and see how that would play out. Um, and it's funny because it almost takes it away from the cyberpunk genre when you do that. Mm. Um, because you know, if you put it dark with neon and rain and whatever, then it's like that's a, that's a dystopian cyberpunk thing, obviously, you know. Whereas if you literally just change the color palette, it's like, well, what is this now? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> maybe sure. this place like isn't a, so bad. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a popcorn or bubblegum cyberpunk, you know, mm. look, you know. So it's quite weird. Um, yeah, I mean, when we when we did a bit of bit of research in Tokyo, um, we went over there a couple times, or well, once I did, anyway. But. Um, <laughs> We found that it was daytime quite a lot. As well. <laughs> Good research. Yeah, that was sure. the weird part. Yeah, because mm. you never expect from what you see on films and whatever. Yeah, it's just like 
you know, it's just it's obviously neon. on the dark side of the yeah. earth, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, there's not like a moment in, in in I suppose that's always the thing, it's just this is a deep cut. Have you seen the the weird deleted and the deleted endings of Blade Runner where Deckard's just driving a car through a perfectly modern, perfectly well lit forest? Yeah. And it's like that's completely there's no way that should exist in the universe you're from, right? Yeah. Like no one goes to like the Cotswolds in no. the universe. Where like, does that come from all of a sudden? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the um, and so you did. Am I right in saying that the game started out more of a multiplayer thing and then developed a single player, or is it the other way around? Because I know you've got you're kind of doing two different things with it, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, so initially when Magic and I got together to make the game, we envisioned it um as its multiplayer form uh, mm. as it is now, and we built out a prototype based on the kind of arena game loop that's in the deathmatch multiplayer, um, and then that's how we got the interest from mode seven and we developed an open world single player from that after mm. that. Yeah. I mean, when, when, when you started, we, we had, we, we had no idea of what, how the industry worked. We had no idea if we'd be able to get any money to make it. Um, so, you know, but we, we still wanted to put something out because, you know, when we'd started playing around with it, we'd, we'd found a game that we really liked. So, and it kind of, the way, the way it got set up is that it worked out quite fortunate for, fortunately for us because we, we at the very worst, we're going to release our demo to the public just as like uh maybe some freeware or like as a super cheap like one pound two pound sort of thing um so we we had already wrapped it as a sort of finished product um <laughs> before we went to any industry events and it turns out that's exactly what they want to see <laughs> they want to see well polished instead of like concepts or things written on paper they want to see this vertical slice sort of thing um so you know we went into our first set of meetings with you know what what was you know, just was kind of pie in the sky of idea of getting some money, but we weren't expecting anything. Mm. Um, and then they were like, yeah, cool. We'll give you some money. And we we're like, okay, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unexpected. Um, so then the multiplayer sort of arena thing turned into a single player thing. And, uh, and obviously the thinking behind that was, you know, you can't guarantee a multiplayer community on mm-hmm. a game. Um, so we, we have to provide an entertainment product. Um, uh, be there any community or not. So yeah. There's, um, so when you say, when you say the arena thing, it's, it, the multiplayer doesn't function like a, for people who aren't aware, it doesn't function like an arena deathmatch game because it's a lot about the stealth element and the, the crowd yeah. simulation yeah. element. Sure. I mean, in terms of an arena, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, Matrix built very distinct little worlds that you can see all of at one time, you know, mm. as like provided you can rotate on that point. So the arena is like just the level, but, yeah, as you say, the, the mechanics kind of like start out as a sort of stealth hide and seek kind of game where you're trying to find out in amongst the morass of other civilians in the world or the level, um, who your enemies are. And you're watching for strange behavior for people picking up ammo on the sly <laughs> or, you know, if a dude's wearing a coat, you kind of <laughs> <laughs> one of those two things owns a gun or wearing yeah. a coat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a bit of a spy party sort of phase yeah, at sure. the beginning. No. Yeah, and then and then you have tools to um, sniff people out during that phase as well. We, you know, our tracker cat, which is a cat <laughs> and named for its tracking capabilities. <laughs> uh, it can sniff out other players and follow them sneakily. And they might like suddenly find that there's a cat at their heels and try like shoot and scare it off. But by that point, you know, they've been... It kind of gives the game away. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then if you kill them or they kill you, you spawn in one of the random doorways and you're a new skin... And it all starts over again. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly you're incognito. And presumably, like at that point, you've got the jump on them because you know what they look exactly. like. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If you're keeping track, 
Yeah. Um, so, so there's quite a lot of different game, uh, d- different ways the game kind of plays out. Sometimes it is like a sort of waves of in and out of stealth, and sometimes it just evolves into constant grenades and <laughs> you know rockets and stuff. Yeah. But then someone just kind of just kind of takes it upon themselves to hide themselves, and then suddenly everyone else gets super tense because like Jesus, there's some guy hidden with a sword waiting to stash you. So you got to <laughs> yeah. be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you said before that the combat is physics based. <clears throat> yep, even and online, what? yeah. Uh, how, how does that kind of manifest itself? Grenades that bounce around. <laughs> Grenade rolls down a hill. Cool. Grenade rolls down a hill, Tom. <laughs> this is, this is, the, the bullet speed is, um, obviously it's like toned down quite a lot. So you, they're not realistic bullet speeds. You can dodge them. Right. You know, you see that, you see them coming at like kind of slow pace and you can dodge them, which kind of puts emphasis more on like, uh, very fast automatic weapons and you get weapon balance based on the bullet speed rather, you know, not everything is the same. So like a sniper rifle, mm. for example, has got a much, you know, faster bullet, mm. um, but much slower fire rate, you know, like that kind of thing. But like a machine gun or a minigun or a Femi gun. Yeah. <laughs> Just name. Uh, I don't even know if I should go into why that is. Definitely go into that. Okay. Well, there was a friend I had who had this condition called famosis, <laughs> which would, uh, what's the age group of your... Oh my uh, god. It's, um, we are rated uh, 18 plus on iTunes. Which would make his, uh, foreskin too tight. So when he got an erection, the blood would go in, but not out. Um, so it would kind of mush him out. Um, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, uh, so we've got like a fat version of the minigun, which kind of reminded me of <laughs> Phimosis as a condition. <laughs> Wow. So, I don't know. a little bit of inside info. That's, that's ama- like too much. That's isn't an it? amazing too much information. <laughs> you know, normally we end up in a weird place with this podcast, like somewhere around the two hour mark, like deep, deep into the book. Po- the drinking is part of that. When I mean, you get there, I mean, we've gotten there in uh, 13 and a half minutes. <laughs> a new record. We are very sorry. No, I'm never, never apologize. Uh, maybe apologize to your friend. <laughs> like, no, well, hopefully he won't, he won't hear this. So. Yeah. Um, well, that's the podcast title sorted. <laughs> Call it one a preemptive strike as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, I probably had a list of super professional sounding interviewer style questions <laughs> in my head, but they have gone <laughs> now. All of them lost a town, lost a town, lost a town like <clears throat> tears in ran. <laughs> lost the time like tears in the rain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah really we haven't ripped topical. off that line in our game at any point, have <laughs> yeah, we? No, no, we certainly have. Please no one play the game. <laughs> Right, this, this PR strategy has really backfired for you guys. No, no, remember, remember, what you mean to say to get the PR right is please no one play Tokyo 42. Oh, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Make sure they know what not to play. So one of the most unusual things about your game, other than the art style, I would say, is the fact that when you rotate the camera, it rotates by 45 degrees, not 90 degrees. Is yeah. That right? Mm-hmm. That's very strange. <laughs> yeah. Every other isometric looking game always like forces you to rotate by 90 degrees. So the, the whole full, thing. Or you, the yeah. phase sort of, the mm. phase full thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because we're, we're at an off angle. Um, and it's weird because when we started making the game, it was going to be a pixel art thing. Right. Um, we very quickly realized how much work that would be. <laughs> pixel art is actually an absolute nightmare to work with. It's just anyone who does it. And I know that you do. Um, I don't. Uh, John Roberts does. Well, you work with it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what what I did is the, I found someone who could do it yeah. and then did not ask the, any questions about how it was done. <laughs> mountain of work. Um, and with, with us, we, we wanted to have vertical gameplay, which I don't think, I, I don't know if you guys can think of any games, but I, I can't think off the top of my head any game that's properly done that from that perspective. 
mm. uh, had vertical gameplay. Um, if if it, mm. if it has happened, it's been much more focused and it's kind of maybe in some linear sort of things like Lara Croft Go or whatever. Yeah, um, Temple of the Guardian um, of the Light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can. I guess only in the context of very rigid tiers of levels yeah, where things exactly. are kind of really defined. Right? It wouldn't, we wouldn't fit with the physics-y kind of yeah. combat system at all. So, I mean, that's that's the one thing that was quite... Um, it's quite new in Tokyo 42 is this kind of freedom of movement with the isometric perspective. Now, kind of going back to the 45 thing, um, we had tested actually 360 degrees of movement, um, and it's just not responsive enough, and especially considering that in our game you, you end up in combat situations which are often quite fast, um, you need to kind of just be able to control, you know, you, you need to be able to get around to a certain angle very quickly. So instead of like sort of someone learning the, the length of hold, it's just a three yeah. time sort of thing or whatever. So you can really quickly rotate as you're in, in the middle of some blazing firefight, um, with some nudists or, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. some sort of old Tokyo punks or something. Um, so how does the single player work? Is it a like linear series of story based missions, or has uh, some kind of meta game? Or yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's that's how it starts off. Um, you kind of get thrown into the story, and not long after first couple of missions, you are allowed to roam the world. And at that point, you can kind of go anywhere. Um, we have is that uh, sort of like a series of discrete locations that you travel between, or is it all one continuous? It's all one continuous. World, it's um, <laughs> fun for optimization. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, yeah, so you, we've kind of got one discrete location, which is the beginning bit, and that was that was our, our first sort of um, test zone for the open world sort of map. And then after that, you get to the main uh, island of rooftops, I guess you can call it, and very much like Far Cry, in order to progress to certain sections of this open world, there'll be uh, guard posts blocking your passage and you can clear those guard posts or sneak through them but until you do that you can't get to those other areas Hmm. um if you play the story linearly or whatever if you play all the story missions then they will eventually take you to all those places but at any point during the story you can just stop and explore and roam and have a look around cool yeah that sounds like quite a ambitious thing like starting with this arena shooter that already worked mm-hmm. adding single bear <laughs> to that let's do open world <laughs> yeah. it seems like quite a big i mean it's been it's been our sort of running line over the last while is that we're just complete idiots <laughs> to do that because we, we can't, i don't know how we got there how did we get from from like fir- the, the first thing was obviously yeah single player sounds fine mm. and then i don't know it must have been days before we got from there to open world <laughs> how did we how did we even make that decision it just seemed cool man yeah i think it seemed like we were like yeah game's easy <laughs> this is like common for people making their first game what's uncommon is that you actually finished it <laughs> yeah yeah it's a mis- i mean not without pain though yeah um, due, due to this this decision obviously Physical it's a pain. very hard format to work with open world um, and it does take a lot of sort of experience <laughs> and uh, foresight um, none of which we have. Um, so we ran- <laughs> well, so we ran into so many roadblocks. Um, it was like, yeah. this is us just like making this pain for ourselves. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't recommend people making their first game make an open world game at yep. all. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I would say even for your second game, it's also a mistake. <laughs> You've, um, you stopped just shy of MMO, which is the point at which you completed a full, a full round of doomed Kickstarter bingo. Yeah. yeah it's supposed to be, um, the sort of the death traps are, uh, 3D multiplayer and having people in it. 
Yeah. So, yeah, having got a fair few of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talking about MMO, we actually had considered some sort of invasion style. Like a Dark Souls kind of mechanic. Yeah, totally. And you could just, well, so one thing that happens during the open world, um, after a certain point in the story, you start finding that there's, uh, assassins mm. called nemeses that come searching for you and will just hunt you down uh, with various weapon, weaponry. So it's like kind of you, you hear when they're there and you, then you're like in a bit of panic mode and that's where Tracker Cat actually comes into play. In the single <laughs> player. In the single yeah. player, yeah. So we thought, you know, how rad it would be if you had player invasions as the nemeses. Uh, we didn't get there. I'm very glad we decided <laughs> to push for that, but maybe later. How? When Tokyo did Force you... 2 2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do the Tokyo Drift pun because it's just. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two Tokyo for... 2 2. <laughs> Well, yeah, Tokyo, Tokyo 420. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So you did that. Yeah. That'll go down Dan, well. Dan, Dan Marshall, I think, on Twitter did a, yeah. an amazing rendition of our poster, Tokyo yeah. 420. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start it? Um, we started uh, sort of concepting in uh, our spare time, sort of after hours, um, early 2015. Um and then we hooked up with uh, Mode 7 around August and the deal was done and we were kind of kicked off by October of 2015. So that's when we went into full time. So now it's been a year and seven months, I think, or so, I don't know. How Just over 18 months, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's, it was, that's right. pretty damn good for... <laughs> yeah. So we were, we, we were, we'd scheduled it for 18 months. Um, right. And I think... We actually, I think, um, we actually fell within that. There's been other t- sort of technical issues with platforms and stuff that has pushed it over. But I think we hit our deadline. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Pretty much. Um, so yeah, everything that we'd kind of said we did, we did. Um, said we do, we did. Um, and yeah, and, 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 you know, we've kind of thought about it and it, it is, it is weird that we managed to keep to the deadline and, um, this game hasn't taken the three or four years that it should have. Yeah, especially um, since you, you know, saying how many roadblocks you hit that you didn't foresee. Yeah, and 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 I think that's all down to us making the decision to go with the publisher because I think if we were right. independent, um, we wouldn't have had, uh, you know, primarily the advice and the support from them. You know, the money's good, <laughs> um, but also the the drive that comes from working kind of for slash with someone. Mm, this absolutely. kind of slightly colder relationship. Even though we're really good friends with them, but that, you know, knowing that we're a bit responsible for, you know, them, you know, mm. if we, so if we kind of just do the indie thing of just like, I oh, know we'll just take a few months out and mm. regather, you know, get our lives back together. That wouldn't have been very useful. Um, <laughs> You're not allowed to get your lives back together. We have my seven. <laughs> no, I mean, um, their, their experience, um, has been so valuable to us, you know, and it's been ex- especially relevant because they're like, you know, a relatively smaller yeah. studio themselves. So like when, when we signed up with them, we were like immediately knew that this would be like a great fit because they would understand the woes of a small team mm. and all that stuff. And like, yeah, technically, you know, like everything, they've just been like super helpful. It's mm. awesome. You, you guys were the, the first game they published as well. So I imagine that was a difference for those guys as well. I mean, we probably sure. talked to pulling in about this when we have them on the pod because i think that's the plan but yeah like, it definitely felt at times like they were testing out a few things on us yeah mm-hmm. you know <laughs> testing out tones are we ready how to that? write emails yes. that day he know. just suddenly yelled at you for no reason <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no, what we friends yeah. we'll stop shouting well we have we have like yeah um, we have kind of surprised them with a few little scope creeps here yeah and there, which might have been a little bit stressful yeah, yeah we had we went to a meeting the one day um and you know, we've got this open world shooter thing and they're, they're, they're very, they're very kind of scope, uh, conscious. Mm-hmm. 
because yeah, that's, that's how you yeah. that's how you waste money. Um, and we pitched up one day and we'd built um, a racing game. Literally, it wasn't called Tokyo Drift. No, it's, it, it's actually in there. You can find it. It's hidden in there. There's um, an, a racetrack comes down over the entire city, um, and you can you do a little race, motorbike race. Um, so yeah, they they kind missing of the important question: Is it called Tokyo Drift? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> it's not named anything, but uh, but it's, it's we've we've we actually were doing a multiplayer level, which we wanted to. Like rip off uh, Summoner's Rift, right? Um, but we oh. were going to call it Tokyo Rift, and then it was like, wait, Tokyo Rift is better, and so yeah. back and forth. Yeah, it, it does pay homage to another reference, like a very important one, the movie Redline. Redline, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but there's the most epic racing anime mm. yeah. out there. It's just such like hyper, hyper, like hyper animation. So Everything cool. is extreme and blown out, and the camera, the, the kind of camera perspective is super fisheyed a lot of the time. So you get a lot of that weird, like sort of warp. Yes, weird warp when they're racing, you know, because of the speed and stuff. It's such an epic. It's not that it's not old. It's kind of contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely recommend Redline to anyone. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Mm. So you were saying though about. Um, racing and scope creep yeah yeah yeah. so they were they were kind of uh they were like they're it's funny because you know the first reaction should be like ah that's great that's awesome you built that and you could see their first reaction was actually like you know (laughs) what the fuck are you doing (laughs) and then like you know within a split second they were like ah that's great you know good guys no (laughs) obviously i'm joking they they were kind of happy about it because it didn't take that much time. <laughs> that's great stop it yeah <laughs> that's great but never do anything yeah, like this like, again prefer we if we could discuss these sort of things before you spend a week doing them um no i mean i think we've we've personally been very conscious of that but you you need to you need to break out sometimes mm-hmm. you know you can't be doing the same thing you know which we were doing for a year and sort of sort of five months i'd say like sort of you know with with week a few weeks here and there of 20 hour days and you know whatever yeah um uh without without jumping into something different every now and then just to kind of break the break the rhythm the thing i've kind of learned lately is um i always try and do things in priority order i want to make sure you know thing i'm working on is the most important thing left to do but every now and then you just really don't feel like working on that Mm -hmm. next thing it's just either too similar or maybe it's not similar enough to what the thing you're just working on and every now and then i just like there's a features on my list somewhere I can't even find it. It's so low down, but I really want to do that right now. It's just, yeah. it's bothering me that feature isn't in there and I can make it. And lately I've learned just to cave to that impulse every time. Just do it. Cause, so yeah. important for sanity, man. Yeah. yeah. I completely concur. Absolutely. Need to do that. Yeah. Also, we, we kind of, we've developed a little bit of a policy, you know, in our budding game studio that, um, in any game we make, there will be a secret that only Smack Games know about, knows about in the game. <laughs> Hmm. So there might be one or two. Of yeah, them. Did, you, did you not just break that? <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got more secret, secret. Okay. <laughs> now you've just done that. <laughs> what by you, saying you people know it exists now? Oh, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Right. Yeah. Fine. Fine. <laughs> you can trust the internet not to find things when they go looking for it. Yeah, it's not going to take them more than a couple of hours, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful couple of hours that'll be. <laughs> I was actually, I think um, it was Ed McMillan was kind of decrying that it kind of almost wasn't worth putting secrets in um binding of isaac's games because uh people just data mine it yeah like he will put something in this absurdly hard to find by playing but you can just kind of scrape the files and look for anomalies and people just pull it out and so who's kind of despairing is is not sure it's even worth we 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 know about that and we were fairly careful about the file naming and stuff for Mm -hmm. our secrets Mm -hmm. um so actually i was um 
uh, uh, I don't know if I, I can say I was involved with the Frog Fractions 2 ARG, um, because I, a puzzle piece for the Frog Fractions 2 ARG was in uh, my game Morphblade, but no one ever found it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so and cross game, cross yeah, game there was some, there was like a, an ARG thing where, um, puzzle pieces were in various games and there was some redundancy built in because my puzzle piece was also in someone else's game and they found that one first so uh, okay um this didn't come up but that was another thing where like we had to think about what well, uh, can't it be data bind can't they look through the, the absolutely the files and find an image that it's very clear these like sigil pieces were um very clear yeah. um and so it had to what i actually did was upload it to my web space and the game itself doesn't contain the file but when you find it it would download the file there right, yeah. sort of abstract link yeah, yeah that's cool. crazy weirdly we've had this exact issue with hack mud which is the, oh, the yeah. hacking game that i'm writing because it's, it's a game about teaching people to hack with javascript <laughs> right. so if they data mine something is that not in some way the game? <laughs> yeah exactly like, yeah. um and you know a lot of the stuff that i'm working on and the stuff that I'm, I'm writing for the game is is explicitly like a little bit more structured and a little bit more narrative than the generated content as a multiplayer mod it generates for every player because that's the idea is to get more scripted things that are easier for new players to get used to which is the point however the more experienced players because i want to put easter eggs in there for the more experienced players but the more experienced players especially the really experienced ones kind of know how to get around uh sean who's the developer his like ways of patching the game so when he adds files to the game, his mm. like GitHub commits, they kind of know how to figure them out now. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the hack, like, wow. it's like, at what point is, is the hacking, hacking but too much? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, no, don't look at that. And so like, <laughs> yeah, the best example, the best example of this is I just added a, it's a super simple script, but it's because we kind of needed to go straight to like basic level help script. So, but I don't want anything in the game to be, because it's like a cyberpunk theme and I don't want anything in the game to be, outside the game so everything is in character all information is delivered in character and this is explicitly a character has made a script to help new players who don't know what to do and you can ask it a question say i need x and then yeah. it will tell you x and it gives you a list of the things you can ask it and the whole easter egg is and those are the sort of standard things you'd expect and the whole easter egg is there's a million other things you can ask that script that there, it has responses for that are written but it teaches you something about trying things with variables like you know not just doing what you're told but like what what happens if i enter this weird variable yeah, on this play around a bit yeah, yeah play around a bit and like I was checking the official like Hackmud Discord, uh, not the official like where the community hangs out, and like within about six minutes of that thing going up, they had already figured out how wow. to like crack open that script so they could see all of the arguments it would accept, not just the <laughs> ones that are listed. Wow. And um and then it's just like, yeah, and then and someone else is like, Okay, I've done a digest. These ones are all boring. These six are funny. Like, 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 <laughs> but I mean, you've made this really efficient. Like, I mean with, <laughs> with Hackmud you're setting yourself up for that. Yeah, because know, you're basically like, speaking to people who like doing that yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. it's not exactly a failure, but it's that kind of thing of like like sort of like I'm disappointed but proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like Yeah, a bit of uh, a double edged sword. Yeah, it's like I was hoping you'd discover this in six months and it'd be hilarious. <laughs> and it's like, nope. All right, fine. Yeah, agree. That was three hours work to furnish you with well, six I mean, minutes. You know what they do nowadays is um that you know, I know EA's got the the huge um uh puzzle community um in the battlefield games. Yeah. Oh, of course they're yeah. figuring out their yeah, yeah. their puzzles and codes and whatever. Um and they they, they hide it all behind patches. Mm. So they will do, they'll do it in sections. Um, and they do very complex, uh, puzzles that you have to figure out in the battlefield games. Um, you know, but pressing this button at certain times and then followed by this and then it's randomized Morse code over a period of time or whatever. Um, but they, but they only release the solutions in sort of updates, mm. DLC. Um, so that way they can kind of protect the puzzle from being totally smashed apart within um a first couple of weeks and for people finding the solutions and that being the way to solve the puzzle yeah so they yeah 
Um, yeah, I think that. Sorry. Yeah, no. As far as I know, they've got they've got some of the most intense sort of money being thrown at puzzles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a bit um, sad that that was kind of how Frog Factions Two actually eventually was found. Was that uh, the game it was buried inside had a big update, and people was. were at that point people were just monitoring updates for all games. Yeah, and they just saw that it was uh, conspicuously big or. Um, uh, happened at just the right time that exactly, it was probably yeah. Frog do, and so that's how they found out. They didn't follow the ARG and they sold all the puzzles and stuff, but the actual kind of final straw was just like, oh, that game's been updated or something. It's Frog yeah. do. I think at yeah. some point, like, how ARGs are solved stops mattering so much. It's yeah, just like, yep, this is true. just the adventure we all went on. It's like, yeah. whatever kind of mad way you decided to I used to this thing. love uh, playing Spelunky back in the day when it was still, it was PC only and it was free and it was still being uh developed uh on a regular basis and so not only was it being like bugs fixed and stuff but uh new items were being added right and derek could always i can't remember if he just never said what the items were but there would be at least one item per patch where he just didn't say what it was it was just a new item added and everyone would be like what the fuck is the new item and so they'd be playing frantically to find out what it is and like one of them was just like a new feature added and he wouldn't say what it was and it turned out to be that while you're firing the bow which is a really rare item that no one really uses even if they do find it but if you uh draw uh an arrow back while you're holding that if you also hit the bomb key you'll attach a bomb to the arrow you're about to wow, fire okay. and then that can like stick in walls and also blow up <laughs> it was like, that was the thing i was never going to find by myself and <laughs> someone else found it in a uh, you know, day or two and uh it almost doesn't matter really if you don't find it yourself it's just having that period of mystery when you're told there's something in there and you don't know yet even yeah. if you find out the next day from someone else and you're not involved in it at all it's still kind of cool to have that it's awesome man it's I mean, the not knowing we, well magic yeah. was quite into the the chiliad mystery i don't know if you know oh yeah the day. gta one. Oh yeah the gta thing yeah. that was also updated in a patch wasn't it I no i don't think it ever been it ever go went anywhere I thought a patch changed something at some point. Like years later, a patch happened and everyone... I, I mean, I, I need to double check because I haven't been to r slash Chiliad in a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there were a few, there was a few puzzles in the game involving just finding flying sources. But there was an implication in that game that there would be a jetpack hidden somewhere mm-hmm. um, in uh, Los Santos. Yeah, on that mural, right? And yeah, because there is a very, very obvious depiction of a jetpack. And uh, no one ever found it. And people right. tried a lot of things. Yeah, a lot um, of hours were sunk into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I must have put in about 50 hours just wow. on the Chiliad thing. But I mean, you know, I was I was not working with the, the teams that Reddits can put together. So I was kind of like, actually, it's fairly pointless. <laughs> Me as, as yeah. a sort of individual trying to tackle this. Um, I'd rather just go with the, the hive mind. Yeah, I think that's a sort of interesting. Because I think, honestly, I do think these these sorts of mysteries are like some of the coolest things about Mm-hmm. games generally particularly like uh, open world games are any kind of systemic game where like people can spread these rumors and they catch on and it's you know it's as old as people in the playground saying oh have you heard if you do this if you you know you jump six times in mario you can play as triple mario like <laughs> whatever, yeah. yeah it's it's, it's that shit like um but there's definitely like a fine line between um making it so complicated that it can only be, like, be solved by like a relative who happens to have like a spectrometer at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been and, that with the, some of the, the sound bites, like yeah, literally exactly. hidden within the spectrums of sound. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's like, oh, just don't worry guys, I got this. Like, um, or making it something that everyone can find and therefore will be found like almost immediately, at which point it probably becomes an Easter egg rather than simply like, rather than a, yeah. like an ARG. And this, I don't know, like I love that. Like for me, I think that's when games tend to come alive is the moment where, you do something that you feel should work, but you've been had in no way flagged mm. is going to work, and you get something back from the game. Is sort of like where the that's where yeah. the, the magic comes from. Yeah. That's 
probably why these things are are hidden away. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Prey, which we'll we'll be end up talking about a lot this week in, in another context, has a lot of that stuff in it. Like, it has a lot mm. of stuff that you think should work, and you go and try it, and it does. Um, but it does feel like, as a marketing exercise, that stuff is pushed so much towards, like, well, we've got to make sure it isn't solved in a week, therefore it has to be, like, sort of, like international espionage level encryption yeah, yeah. just to kind of protect it for a day yeah <laughs> but it's kind of an interesting issue yeah i've, I've given up on that stuff <laughs> um all of uh, heat signatures data files are just open there but just plain text you can just re- read them and edit them and um so if you want to like conquer the whole galaxy you could just open up the galaxy file and replace all the ownership variables with well your done. own thing <laughs> yeah. well done you won and the so, game you, yeah. got, you got your money's worth and so yeah we'll, we'll do something <laughs> if you conquer the whole galaxy but it, uh there's no point in, in whatever we do it, it will be with the understanding that you can easily unlock this just by cheating yeah um, and in some ways i mean you get you get something out of that as well um by exposing that stuff because uh for gunpoint i made a level editor but it was a little bit limited it was kind of like um simplified to make it easy for people to use and some people were, didn't like those limitations and because the data format that it saved its levels in was just completely plain and readable someone just made their own editor awesome. uh, read, and just read those files and and it's way better editor than mine <laughs> yeah that's, that's awesome. awesome yeah yeah the um it's uh, the one game i think recently has been doing this stuff quite well is elite dangerous they've mm. they've had a really good line in like quite successful args by all accounts but i think yeah. it's because they combine like again like spectrometer analysis of alien sound mm. waves with the fact that it's such a vast game like because they have like a procedurally generated cosmos of a, a you know, billion <laughs> billion billion star <laughs> systems they can hide something somewhere and be reasonably sure no one's gonna fucking find this because there yeah. aren't enough humans like, <laughs> yeah. like on same as no one was supposed to find each other in the other oh yeah infinite in, yeah. space game that we shall not mention yeah well precisely but at least in this context it's like well we can we can do something with this system where our heat maps show no player has ever been and the closest player is like 60 hours in the wrong direction yeah. so like uh and we'll put something here and then We'll drip feed clues that'll eventually lead people here, but no one's going to just stumble upon it. Yeah. Well, we've got a housemate who um, makes it his business to travel into the uncharted areas of Elite Dangerous. I mean, he spent like five days going in one direction. Like, yeah. never been before. <laughs> like awesome. five real yeah. life days. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So maybe he'll be finding out. Some yeah, he of got to the center of the center of the universe or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. Um, I think he's on his way back. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing there, lads. <laughs> it was L- more space. Literally is still on his way back, and this has been a couple of weeks now, so we should probably check on him. Have uh, you, I mean, have you opened his door? I think or? I saw him this morning. He kind of mumbled at me. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Uh, frame shift drive. <laughs> Not frame shift drive. Frame shift drive. Active, yeah. Full scoop engage. <laughs> I played a lot of that game. Um, I do really like it, but it is because it's almost like, do you know what's a nice break from video games where stuff happens? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed it for a while. Eventually it did become quite, it did become quite a mission. Yeah. Um, because I, I did, my, my journey wasn't quite as, um, uh, long as his. I, I tried to get to the witch's hat, which is kind of like nearby to inhabited space. Um, and it just burnt, it just killed me. Um, I got, I got there and then just, I was like, God, and now I have to fly back. <laughs> I mean, I've enjoyed this experience, but there's only so many boiling suns you can see before it's, 
you know, it's not quite mm. as sort of fascinating. And really, I was like, you know, maybe I should start smoking weed again. You know, it's been, <laughs> it's been a long time, you know, but, you know, not, if there's anything that's going to allow me to survive this, it's going to be, be that. It's funny, you know, in some ways, maybe Alien Energy is a precursor to what the reality of human spaceflight will be, yeah. which is that, like, human beings can get used to fucking anything. Like, oh, look, it's the, it's the, the most spectacular cosmic vista you'll ever yeah. experience again. <laughs> Does anyone have any weed? Spaceflight will just adjust, <laughs> like... We just need to be stoned for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, if we're going to do this, it's going to take years. Let's just you know, enjoy ourselves. Um, yeah, what a fantastic game, though. It's 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 like one of those things that, you know, I think it's um, Gary from uh, the... What's it? The game, Gary's Modern Rust. Face Punch. Face Punch. Punch. Yeah. He released a, a, an article a while back about how the, the Rust community... Um, constantly demands you know these people who have been playing the game for you know five thousand hours are like are they they're kind of starting to write reviews going you know this game is shit you know <laughs> with their five thousand hours and eventually yes they got bored of it you know so now it's shit to them so so he was complaining that that they then introduced new features to make these guys who've had five thousand hours happy again but then but that time shortens each time they release features so they might be happy now for three months and then it's two months and then it's a couple of weeks and then it certain players have just hit this point after so long that they just are constantly complaining mm. um and i think some of these long-form games are just it's something that we haven't they have people haven't figured out how to deal with like what happens yeah. when someone wants that experience for ten thousand hours and the game ca- cannot deliver that yeah, it yeah. cannot be interesting because with Elite, it was it was completely fascinating to me for about a hundred hours, um, which is a lot. Um, it's a lot. Um, and the trouble is, you you like if you can make a game that's good for a hundred hours, you've done an amazing thing. Exactly, yeah. but you have to yeah. end it at the hundred hours. You have to yeah. tell the player it's over <laughs> now. You've done it. Well away. done. One, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. and then that player will walk away saying that was amazing. I loved it. Like recommend yeah. it to all their friends. Yeah. But if you let them keep playing, yeah. then they'll end up hating it because they'll they won't just won't stop until they do. Absolutely, and they might not even stop when they do. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> just do one uh, of those like mobile app things where it like pops up with a star rating. So how do you rate it? As soon as your rating goes down, they just cut you off. Fuck off. Off then, yeah. <laughs> well, get out. <laughs> it's actually not a bad idea. To trigger the end sequence because that's that's the tricky thing. Well, if you knew that value for everybody, yeah. you could have it have the game end at the time that it should end for that person. But it's exactly. just different for everybody. There are people yeah. who are, can only spare three hours. And... Mm. It feels like it's less of an issue for multiplayer games where the developer isn't responsible for kind of providing that engagement because that's that's what comes from mm-hmm. balance patches and things like that. And you know, things stays. It's a living game, so people stay. Well, I think maybe it's not so much that people don't get burned out because they do. It's that eventually, it's that players are better on average at figuring out where that burnout is coming from. Like, it's not like, this game is fucking bullshit. I can't believe after 8,000 hours, I feel like I've seen everything. (laughs) Whereas in a multiplayer game, it's like I played 8,000 hours of Counter-Strike and now it is time for me to move on with my life. (laughs) I mean, Armour's that game for me. Uh, Armour, right, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've gotten bored of it a couple of times, but I still, I still just go back and I just have a blast just running around. And and it's primarily in multiplayer modes, mm. um, because it's just it's so unpredictable. You know, players are so unpredictable, and especially with a platform like that, you've got you know quite complicated controls. So you can, I just enjoy playing with the controls. Yeah, you know, because that's part of the pleasure of it is just using them um because they're quite complex and then just the multiplayer like, i i mean i'm not going to say how how many hours i've gotten it because i've got a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. um but it has it has sustained me over the years mm. that's just my my fallback but i suspect if you ever got the need to take a break from it you wouldn't necessarily 
go like, oh god, this game's done. I can't believe it. It's just yeah. like, well, it's time for me. To, I'm the same with Dota. Like for me, it's like the, it's the best game ever made. Which one? Dota, Dota. Two. Dota, right? Yeah. Right. So like, it's in, but um, I've I'm in the end of the longest break I've ever taken from it, and I'm starting to play again. It's kind yeah. of like I remember this. <laughs> yeah. It's the greatest game ever made. Um, and you know, that's just it. it it's because that relationship never. I don't think you ever put it on the developer quite so much. It's almost like when it's a multiplayer game, the game itself is almost just like an entity. Yeah, it's like sure. a sport or something where it's like, you know. Yeah, and it's it's might... defined by its community as much as anything yeah. else, and and how you play it and your style and what what you know who that leads you to play with, and you can you know if you if you're a troll in a game, you know what kind of people you end up with, and that's kind of your fault, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and that's something you're fine with. Whereas I think with with the sort of either the massive investment single player games or the sort of I guess things in like the sort of survival MMO elite kind of time investment, but you're not spending a lot of time meaningfully interacting with other players. Mm. Spectrum like. That burnout gets put on the developer more, I suspect, because that's yeah. kind of those are the only people who can provide more stuff to do. I mean, and not not to go back to, it, but that's what No Man's Sky hit mm. almost instantly. People kind of, I mean, I had the same thing with that. I, I saw it and I was, you know, bewildered by its depth and wonder. Mm. And then I hit the wall of content so quickly. I was like, but that is it. Like yeah. That, what I've experienced has been fantastic, but this this is an exact exact example of where, as you say, there should have been a, an ending sooner. Hmm. Um, just just to just to kind of go look at what you've experienced. It's been seven hours of amazing things, <laughs> which it was, hmm. but that's it, guys, for now. <laughs> as, as opposed to this kind of idea that 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 feeling can somehow go on, and I think that's where people got just goes so disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it's and, interesting, like how people respond to hypothetically infinite variety is yeah. like well like it's just technically you're telling me this is in infinity yeah. but like i'm just seeing yeah a sideways eight like exactly yeah it just becomes a number after a while yeah yeah, yeah. um i think it's uh it's incredibly hard to do infinite visual variety and that was sort of the promise of no man's sky not not the explicit promise but yeah. when you saw it and you imagined what you extrapolated in your mind what could this be like yeah. oh my god this planet's so different to this planet Therefore, they'll be different forever. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, and they can't not, be. Like, and you see the pattern. That's and the thing you like, A bugger. But then yeah. a game like Splunky feels like near infinite mechanical variety. Like the situations that you that you encounter in a playthrough of that, it's not uncommon to hit one that you've never encountered before, even though I've played it literally yeah. you know three thousand times. And so that I think is a more fruitful direction to go in. Yeah, mm, sure. Yeah, in terms of generative stuff. Yeah. And again, I think this is where like you know competitive multiplayer games solve that problem really naturally because you've you might have encountered every technically every weapon and strategy in the game but if the if the if the meta game is anywhere near healthy you will never see the same combination of elements combat twice. scenario yeah, yeah, and, and, that, yeah. and that means a lot to you because it's that is ultimately what you're engaging with so it's like you know i've never seen this particular combination of characters in this particular place on this particular yeah, map exactly therefore i am having a totally new experience yeah, yeah. i mean we we just got the uh playstation for the first time in our house because we mm. kind of wanted a lounge set up whilst we're kind of going gold now just to play some stuff and we're playing through the Naughty Dog games. Mm. Yeah, and, I've been doing the Uncharted collection as well actually so that's yeah, fun. Um, yeah. And obviously they're, they're amazing things but the, you know they, they're kind of they're kind of a classic game in that they are they are le levels that you go mm. through. Yeah. You know and whilst they've tied it all together with amazing set pieces and you know narrative this and that um, it's, it is levels. You know it's a classic you know, mm. level one, level two, level three. Um, but then they've got the couple of game, gameplay styles. So, but, but they have co combat scenarios, which are expertly put together. 
Um, and it makes it really fun because each combat scenario, it's not just a mechanic which they're throwing at you over and over again. They're really carefully thinking about uh, each setup and making sure that it feels different from the last and setup. And it does, man. And it you is, can yeah. tell it feels like it. Absolutely. Yeah. So they, they kind of, they kind of, they kind of do the other side where it's the curated thing, which, which they, they, they then end the game. Mm. You know, even so. though you've been through more scenarios than you might in another game, which kind of just kind of does the same thing over and over again. Um, uh, they know their limitation, you know, in terms of that, they don't, you know, um, which is money. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And then yeah. the only way you can make stuff more complex is by multiplayering up. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Cause like the issue is, I guess at its core, like, how much responsibility do game designers have to stop players from ruining games for themselves? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Absolutely. it's like, if I do this, I hate it. It's like, well, don't do that, but I have to. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just going, I'm just going to play it like this. I'm just going to play it. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to sleep. I'm just going to play it like well, this. I think, and now I hate it. Well, you know, that's one thing I've worried about. And we, well, we haven't spoken about it too much, but we, you know, we, we're inexperienced and we might have some untested exploits in our game. Um, and there is a potential that we might have to patch some things mm. out later. Um, because we have, we have some sort of features which we're, we're not fully aware of how they can be used. And as you say, people, um, take the path of re- least resistance, even if the path of least resistance is so boring and so mind numbing, um, yeah. <laughs> as to completely destroy their experience. Um, I was listening to, um, the, an interview with Sid Meier, um, on the designer notes podcast, which is by Soren Johnson, um, uh, who worked on, uh, who's the lead designer of Civ 4 and, um, He's talking to Sid about like the early days of civilization and, uh, Sid is saying that, you know, after release, they realized there was a couple of strategies that were just way overpowered. Uh, like I think cavalry was way overpowered and there was something else. Um, and I was surprised to hear him say that like, uh, but that was like the good old days before the internet. I was like, why is that good? Isn't it much better than the internet? Cause you can patch it right away. And, uh, but his argument was that in those days when an exploit was discovered, like one guy discovered it. That's yeah. it. Don't <laughs> go any further than that. <laughs> like, no one else knew about it. So it didn't matter right. that much to the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> Screw that guy. Do you guys remember, I don't know if you, ha- uh, cause when, when we were playing, uh, early on, it was in Cape Town. We got, we got our first computer when we were living in England and we moved to Cape Town, but there was telephone services for cheats. Um, I don't know if you yeah, had yeah. that here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hint, yeah. Hint hotlines. Yeah. yeah hint yeah. hotlines. So you had to call up. Uh, whatever for cheat codes and yeah. LucasArts vibes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. But games actually used to have them in the back as well. There'd be just sort of like mis- miscellaneous cheat and hint spreads, which yeah. would just be like tiny, like 40 word boxes for like a million different games. Yeah. So like, <laughs> oh, this is the, you know, one thing in Super Mario 2 that you can do or whatever. Yeah. You know? And that's, um, funny. Yeah. The, the, the internet is, I guess, super good at breaking those things open. Like yeah. straight away. But thinking about going back to ARGs, like I remember like the most effective ARG I've ever seen was like the Halo 2 or 3 stuff. I think it was Halo 2 actually. The I Love Bees thing. Cause Bungie uh, made a big deal, like who make Destiny now. They, um, they were really good at that ARG stuff, like pretty ahead of the time, I think, when it came to mm. tri- particularly AAA game developers doing interesting storytelling in their, their I Love Bees stuff. We'll get into why it was called I Love Bees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually remember. So it. Yeah. what it was, was like, um, uh, without going too deep into like the, the lore <clears throat> of the Halo series, because I don't know why that's stuck in my brain, like everything else. But like, <laughs> um, essentially it was, it was an ARG that was set half in the modern day and half in the future through some sci-fi kind of things, um, which was supposed to be to explain how the, the bad, the bad guys in Halo 2 found Earth basically okay and so it was and so it was a mixture of like real telephone box stuff in the real world but the idea is that like essentially like an alien ai from the future had infected some nice little old lady's beekeeping website uh, in okay. the present which is 
a kind of daft idea, but it, and it started with someone I think posting in like a tech forum or like a Yahoo yeah. Answers board. Like something's gone wrong with my mom's website. Like, can you guys help? <laughs> oh, so they started off like yeah. off on the periphery, yeah, of like the whole super project. on the periphery yeah. of it. And so it pulled yeah. in people who had no interest in games, like no interest in Halo, which is yeah. at that point was just a sci-fi shooter, and and eventually like people started to find audio files which were part of like basically they basically recorded an audio drama but that was set in the future okay. and it's like audio files <laughs> this AI had pulled back with it through time so uh, it's like, that's awesome. and they yeah. kind of all tied in together in the end and then it was such a neat idea and I remember that finding it super compelling but I think because the internet was still relatively new to this stuff at the time there wasn't the kind of like people there wasn't like a vocabulary for ARGs at that time there wasn't like the kind of the impulse to like okay well the first thing we do is check the source code of the website Mm. second thing we do is check all the ip addresses the third thing we do is check every audio file and image for a kind of encrypted string of some yeah. kind in the mm. in the jpeg you know what i mean like right now it feels like <laughs> if you tried to do that now it would be solved in seconds and it took months at that time yeah yeah. The, yeah totally not the technology just, just the disconnect just the, just the fluidity of people think about it now. experience it's like yeah so, like yeah. we know everywhere you could possibly hide something in, <laughs> in a html web page you know yeah. what i mean like this is ev- this is everything you could possibly hide something in. and there's whole communities now just set up to work on this stuff together and yeah. it is yeah. it's almost all stuff that is solved way easier in a group if you have 20 people on it yeah. then it just becomes you can, you more can than divide 20 times Faster, yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. like if it's searching an environment for some button, you can kind of do mm. two square miles, you know, yeah. of some map or whatever, as opposed to the whole thing. So. Yeah. So how are you guys um, feeling ahead of launch? Because I mean, I was I was surprised that you were here. <laughs> Tom said that you came in, <laughs> given that your game launches at this point less than a week away, six days. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty like I don't know. It's kind of weird that it's happening. <laughs> a bit, a bit tense, sort of. You know, yeah. like tomorrow the initial embargo lifts on like small uh, first looks and I don't know. I don't think reviews actually, but yeah, kind of previews and so we're gonna see like some stuff and like mm. obviously, uh, understandably, I guess I'm a, I'm a little bit you know tentative at seeing what people think. Mm. You know, because we've only heard the good stuff. You know, people who message us saying that they like it. No one's messaged us and said that they don't like it. Some people said that they don't know how to do things, which is great, which means they're trying. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a positive look. Yeah. At least you're trying, right? Well, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Um, I'm just trying to not think about it too much. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry if I talk, to talk, to talk uh, exclusively honestly, about it. For me, it's the, the same as well. I have, I have no idea what I'm supposed to think. Right, yeah, of course. You know, because a, we I think it's, you know, I was surprised um, that you weren't madly busy. And then I remember, of course, you're on console. So you have yeah. to be gold, like, how long? Yeah, months launch? ago, like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the PC is slightly more flexible with all that stuff. Yeah, so because we have, we have patching. access to the builds, the build uploading. So we could, you know, Sean can just go like, boop. I don't. Your but... entire experience <laughs> has changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas on uh, Xbox, currently, it's not quite the same process. Yeah. They're a little bit more... A little bit more mm. sort of hands-on with what what goes and grow out. Yeah, I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to feel like. I don't, I've never released the game. Um, we don't know if we're gonna if we're gonna be able to afford to you know not get a job in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, we don't know whether we got to think about going to the Bahamas and you know <laughs> in the next couple of weeks, which is you know, obviously mandatory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to. We can, yeah, we can't afford it. You know, yeah. we have to. I mean, so, you know, I, I know that, you know, for Tom, the, the period of just doing donuts in a speedboat, like, yeah. that, that takes time. Like, oh, man, <laughs> you've got to plan for it. <laughs> it's like, I'm taking that. You know, so, yeah. I'm actually, what I um, kind of gather from uh, my own experiences and also a bunch of other indie friends, a thing I heard was warned about a lot was kind of like postpartum depression, basically. Like, yeah. you release the thing and then there's nothing in your life. Like, the biggest thing that's occupied you for so long is gone. Yeah. I didn't have that because uh, I was so had so many other ideas I wanted to move on to. Like, yeah. I was desperate to uh, start something new. 
but um i just got really stressed about tech support and uh-huh. i didn't really have a tech support problem you know it was a tiny percentage of people who had had any issues at all and most of them i could fix and other ones i could get help with but it was just it's just a heightened period of your life you're just yeah. like everything is turned up to 11 and so if yeah. there's problems and i've got those people's money and i at the time there's no refunds policy so i couldn't yeah. get it back uh i just had to just like get on it feel terrible about like um uh about that you know try and fix the problems and if i couldn't and just like ah fuck. <laughs> uh, and that just Sorry, completely mate. stressed me out for still got for your money yeah, so I think like whatever's whatever you would normally be feeling, you would just feel that, but ramped up to like yeah. two thousand percent. Yeah. I'm excited for that. <laughs> yes. I'm going to Bulgaria in two weeks. That should that should be fun. Cool. Yeah. Just kind of decompress a little bit. Yeah. Mm. For a weekend. For a weekend is enough. <laughs> I mean, this this is what we've come to expect as like a break, a weekend in Bulgaria. <laughs> ah. So looking forward to the long break. <laughs> it is going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, this is like coming up to Bath today. It's almost like a holiday, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's beautiful up here. It's beautiful outside. Well, yeah. It's beautiful outside where yeah. we're not. Look at it, how gorgeous it is. <laughs> Get to enjoy none of that next week. <laughs> Staying yeah. refreshing. So um, what? what is... So I, mean, I guess maybe your plans are dependent on, on how things go both next week and, and in the future. But what is, you know... With game one done, what is the what is the hope? Like, what is the well, ambition? It's been a the dream, like a slowly ongoing discussion. Um, we've got ideas, mm. you know. Like, we want to we want to carry on producing games, like without a doubt. Um, and and how we do that obviously depends a lot on the success of this. So, I think it's looking at all the routes available to us there. I I, I don't think I'll ever do anything else like willingly. <laughs> I, I think, you know, like I, I, I want to make games for the rest of my life. I guess yeah. I really enjoy it. So, yeah, there's so many different options, and it's 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 kind of it all depends on the money. Because mm. you kind of once a game is done, you're kind of starting from scratch in many respects. Even if there's money in, involved, you still have to put concepts for other games together. You can't. You don't just have another game. Mm. You have to start again in many respects. Um, so. And, 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 you know, we, we, we might, we might need to then find more money on top of whatever we might earn, you know. Mm. So there's the whole process could start again. You know, we've had ideas also about, um, trying to open a, a studio somewhere in South Africa, um, right. and trying to find uh, people down there, um, because they're kind of stuck so far away from the games industry. Mm. And there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so much talent, so much there. talent, yeah, digital yeah. arts, uh, like all sorts, man. And it's just yeah. totally, they're isolated and they don't have like inroads into the industry at all. Yeah, and so. it's funny you mentioned um, Naughty Dog earlier actually because a South African friend of mine moved to California to work for them. He's I think like an environmental physicist on the Uncharted oh, series okay. and stuff. But like that was the distance he traveled to Absolutely. make use of his skill set. Basically, yeah. Envi- I think it was environmental physics and art. But yeah, like yeah, precisely. Yeah, it's just so far out there. Um, but you know, all that stuff is we don't know. Apparently, we'll know more. On Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, yeah. Monday, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So cool. Yeah. I'm positive, man. I think it's going to be great. I'm, I'm like super proud of us. We've made a game. Yeah. That's cool. How big yeah. is the team actually? I know there's G2. Is it just you 2 Is it? Uh, well, it's us two. Okay. So Magic does the art. I do the code, um, game code. And then our friend Vicente Espy or Tuddy or beat vince on twitter he does all the music um he's he's fantastic i kind of grew up with him it's been a pleasure to work with him 
And then uh, Alex Darby of Darbatron Limited he lives in Leamington. He's done uh, uh, platform uh, ports, the console ports. And he's, yeah, I don't know, man. He's fantastic. He's such mm. a great guy to work with. And then there's Ian Hardingham, uh, Paul Kildove Taylor from Mode 7, James Hannett, Robin Cox, also Mode 7. I think that pretty much covers the, yeah, that's the, the main, border team. That's yeah. the main main group of people. That oh, no, and Alex on. Hayes, of course. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Alex Hayes, who did the writing for mm. the game. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the team. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's not a lot of people for eighteen months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What were you? I was meant to ask actually. What were you guys doing before this? Given this is your first game, I realized I never asked that. Um, I, I was doing uh iPhone app development, right? Uh, in Shortage, from a company called Hi Mom Said Dad, great little uh, mobile marketing company. Um, and then before then, I was kind of traveling around Europe, growing my hair. <laughs> and uh yeah and then before then i was in south africa working on mobile apps still before that i was probably a little bit smaller than i am now <laughs> we didn't area. need the entire <laughs> you can stop stop <laughs> yeah i was i was also same media um uh, advertising digital media ux mm. uh did did some indie projects digital art stuff and uh some sort of social media game stuff so right. there was a bit of there was a bit of lining up um, and all the while I'd been teaching myself 3D. So, uh, that's how we were in shape to kick off and hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, with the help of Unity, of course. Mm. Um, and its platform, which makes certain things a lot easier. It does make it harder when you get to the technical ends of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, you know, the requirements, uh, and your sort of, um, when you hit the boundaries of it. Um, you, you then have to, then, then your experience shows, uh, which is something we didn't have. Uh, yeah. So that's when we hit the walls. Turns uh, out the easy implementation isn't always the most optimal. No, not <laughs> always the most optimal. And mm-hmm. that's what you, what Unity doesn't help with later on. You'd have to do it all yourself. Um, right. Eventually. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So should we do some uh, some news, video games, internet news? We're still in. Well, we're gonna we're gonna make the hat trick here for chatting about Far Cry Five, in which is apparently what we do in the weeks preceding E3 before there is actual video games news. Yeah, they really got us good on this one. They did. Yeah, <laughs> this is how to trick the Crate and Crowbar into covering your game repeatedly, which yeah. is like leak, then rumor, then one per week. Yeah, and then one then series of. Teaser trailers, finally, box art. Yeah. Far Cry 5. To be honest, we'll probably mention it next week as well, because you you listening to this uh, will be doing so on Friday or later, and we're recording this on... Um, Thursday. Thursday. Yep. The other day. <laughs> uh, and they're going to release some kind of big reveal, I guess it's like a gameplay trailer on Friday, and so you will have seen that, and we haven't. <laughs> Thanks for pointing out how irritating this is going to be for people who don't know what we do, as we speculate wildly about it. Let's speculate wildly about it. Anyway, it's not Cowboys. It's not, but isn't it? <laughs> it's not a Wild West setting. They probably have cows around. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Montana. It's the, 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 yeah, so it's, it's... It's modern day Montana. It's modern day Montana, and the, the box art um, features very heavily either um, a cast of kind of like, you know, 
dastardly racists. <laughs> Essentially, I mean, the, what, there's, there's a guy in the foreground. More or less, the only kind of racist. There's a guy in the foreground. The, you know, there's a t- table which looks like you know the the, the Last Supper or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's a Last Supper. And then thing. and then in the foreground, there's a guy facing away from you, and he's got his top ripped off. And in the back is cut into his back. I am a sinner. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this so is he's, like, he's now being punished by I guess whoever. So they're like the twisted Christians. It's like, yeah, yeah this, this seems like Christian yeah. extremists. Extremists. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, I think the the because uh, and which is not totally out of you know I think it's a really interesting direction for Far Cry to go in. But Far Cry, the last couple of games have all been about apart from Primal have all been about like sort of like extreme people. In extreme places. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, that was their tagline. You know what I mean? Like, um, from starting with Vast in Far Cry 3, which is all about, like, we're going to tie you up so a man can extremely effectively mocap a speech yeah. at you about something. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've they basically all been, like, uh, supposedly charismatic leader who's crazy uh, with a cult who follow him, like, um, devotedly. Ubisoft have a, a little bit of a weird track record on this, but only because they have the Clancy license. And the Clancy license is like hyper right wing mm. fantasy. It's like, what happens if, like, uh, I'm going to crib a line from PC Games Phil Savage, but like the, the plot of the division is like the day the money went bad and we had to <laughs> shoot the poor. <laughs> like, um, you know, there is the that element to it. Um, but you know, but I think, um, Ubisoft have always, in their other action series, Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, actually, despite its some of its missteps, there's always been like quite a strident kind of anti, um, or, you know, maybe sort of a liberal angle to their games. There's always been a sort of it's not ever been eloquently expressed. But no. We're talking about video games, yeah. So like, <laughs> but the, there has always been a sort of there have always been a relatively progressive company, and you know, there's, I don't think it's totally surprising coming from them. And also, I don't think it's totally surprising that this isn't going to be a a, a compelling setting for people to fight in. Because also, I mean, it, it's it's it mirrors the theme in in video games generally of video games, particularly AAA video games, following pop culture at a slight lag. And hmm. you know, we've just had like you know, it's very reminiscent of Justified as a kind yeah. of modern cowboy thing of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, um, obviously, it's quite different to Westworld, but that's the same sort of like, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's exposing like comparing the flaws it- in the kind of American wilderness fable. Thinking about the expectation of we were thinking it was going to be Wild West and now it's this. Uh, I'm glad it's this because... Uh, like Wild West has done little enough that it's somewhat welcome, uh, more so than like zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been a whole load of Wild West games, and Justified is an existing TV show, but there hasn't really been a game of it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy to have a game of it. Yeah, and obviously there's no confirmation that's exactly what it will be. I think the thing that maybe concerns me a little bit is that GTA Five does the kind of hillbilly biker racists out in the desert or out in the wilderness thing already and i mean i have some issues with gta 5's plot and writing and its cynicism and some of its kind of um it plays a lot of things for laughs and there's sort of no human heart to it and that's kind of you know a thing but games have kind of been to this territory before i think it's kind of important to remember and this you know there's nothing about that lineup of characters they've shown that necessarily suggests to me that this is going to be a justified style kind of character piece mm. you know about those things like i have a little i'm a little bit concerned that you look down that line of characters and they're universally like dudes in their 20s or 30s with like thick beards and aviator shades 
And these people, I mean, yes, you can sell them to me as like a Last Supper style lineup of evil, you know, cult, you know, yeah. far right, you know, you know, religious extremist cultists. They could be opening a cereal cafe. Like just looking at them, <laughs> like very thin, like, especially very, the guy in the middle. Extreme, he's got like yeah. silly coloured shades. Yeah, exactly. Know, like, he's got, the one that made me question. I was yeah. like, they got thick yeah, beards. Pretty hip. Yeah, they got they got <laughs> it's Montana or Shoreditch. <laughs> yeah, they've got they've got extremely thick. They've got thick, <laughs> luscious beards, but like uh, top knots and like short back. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like mm, this could go one of one yeah. of two ways. Kind they, of like a more queer version of Lost in the Dam. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, they've got a they have a they have a, a like a wolf. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, right. like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, there's one man in that piece of art who's, like, very pointedly stabbing a stake, yeah. which is, like, uh, uh, perhaps protest too much. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like uh, there's a, you know, um, there's a sort of, there's a degree to which it's presented with a kind of, you know, it's it's rule of cool evil hillbillies, basically. Like, it's not, you know... So, maybe, so maybe there's some sort of twist on... Uh, them it's it's not necessarily going to be like <laughs> sort of some sort of kkk yeah, yeah. sort of overtake they're in san francisco some... startup that's gone horribly exactly. wrong <laughs> <laughs> they to go far right yeah exactly uh, um, um uh, under the influence potentially of drugs and drugs are inevitable yeah like, there's going to yeah. be a meth trip sequence in or this something game, like that, i can yeah. guarantee it now there's like, going to be yeah. horses oh, sorry oh, sorry i quite like the idea of the what the poster shows it's like quite individual characters so like maybe they're all going to have like you know a really strong narrative and I don't know if you played Wildlands. I know Magic I, finished it 100%. Like <laughs> I, uh, I hated it, Wildlands. Really? really? Yeah. Do we have to fight about that now? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Okay. No fight. Okay. No, I'm a sucker <laughs> that for was a moment Ubisoft. There, <laughs> uh, collect, collectathons. Okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But they did that great That's... thing where you've got that spider map of, um, you know, like, oh, dudes yeah, to take down. Nodes, yeah. So maybe they've kind of taken that idea into this as well, where, like, everyone on that last table, last supper table is oh, yeah. a, its own character that you kind of... Yeah, I mean, actually, Far Cry... Montana has been taken over by nine identical hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, Far Cry 4 and Primal both did this, where there are sort of bosses for each region right and there's a whole lot of outposts which are the kind of um general uh things to take down but then there's a, a stronghold or a, a fortress and that fortress will be from a named plot character like and sometimes you have to like unlock them through the plot but other times you can just take but, them but, but like. what sean's saying is quite interesting because with their covers previously it was it was always the single baddie yeah it was vast in yeah. the first one and then it was pagan Pag- yeah, pagan men. Yeah. And so no what they're doing with this is that they're, they're showing that maybe they're going to put more focus on uh, a set of characters um, yeah. as opposed to kind of putting it all yeah, on a single one. Well, um, actually, I would love to see that and see who the Judas is in the if it is an actual... Yeah, uh, mm, maybe, maybe that's the player character. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of neat if you're going to make something about like... Uh, sure. Christian extremists, then having a kind of biblical mirror yeah. for the plot would be kind of neat. Um. I think um, I want. So this is a stupid question um, that I have, but I was because obviously they'll have extremely extensive like mocap cutscenes. Like that's mm-hmm. in, that's inevitable. These characters yeah. have to be extremely charismatic in their evil way and, and emote at you and tell you a story about something. Right? That's going to happen. I don't, can do you if you are mocapping someone who has a thick beard. Does the actor have a beard at the time? Do you think or they have little dots on yeah, the beard? Yes. Do they put dot, ping pong balls on the beard? How do or they, do they add it like, the like, I want to know to what extent this is all a grand lie, essentially. Like, did they add, um, did they have, like, clean shaven actors in sort of mm. skin tight ping pong ball wetsuits? 
performing these characters because they're also <laughs> uniformly lushly bearded. And I don't know how this works. And that, I'm going to go with skin, skin tight. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, the skin shaven. tight is the rest of it. But yeah. it, no, I right. mean, it, shaven. Yeah, like clean yeah I think you dudes. can project forth a beard. You can extrude yeah. a beard from a, from a head. <laughs> well, they need the data underneath. <laughs> beard tech department. Yeah, <laughs> if that's the case. There's definitely a team of beard men. <laughs> and you, I mean, it's games development. It's, it's all teams of beard men. <laughs> I mean, I haven't quite gotten there in trying to, trying to figure out how all this stuff works, but I know that um, Andromeda had huge issues with their hair tech in general. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know what it was um, because it's, it's shader-based stuff. Um, and whatever. Um, but I, I know that, uh, beards these days, there's high demands on, you know, the tech behind beards, how they operate, <laughs> you know, obviously the, the, the player customization behind it. So they, they yeah. would have had to have invested a lot of resources into not only the beards on the cover, but obviously in the game. <laughs> and this beards. is something that we can project. There's going to be some pretty heavy beard tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought beards are generally pretty easy as as video game hair goes because they kind of conform to the uh, the thing that video games have ha- have sort of done as a matter of convenience for head hair, which is helmet hair, where it's just sure. like your hair just completely moves your head, and a whole load of hairstyles do fit that. And, and but you say, I mean, you say but that any but, hair that moves is fucking. But difficult. what if they are the first company that does? you know, high-tech beards, and, and then you never look back. And it's like, <laughs> they've set the bar. Ever since that dangly, swaying <laughs> Far Cry 5. Gorgeous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the landscape was forever changed. I, is, so actually, another Ubisoft game, For Honor, does have long, knotted beards in it. And now for the life of me, I can't remember oh, yeah. if they are physics-enabled. Uh, I bet there's, not, there's a jelly think, bone in the bottom. Yeah. There's going to be a little give at the bottom of that thing, yeah. but like not a lot. I've just seen, enough to give you the fact. Yeah. I've seen like, uh, I think in the Uncharted series we were playing through a little bit was um, with ponytails, they do like a sort of it's stuck to one, like the bottom of the beard tail or the hair tail is stuck, but then there's play in between. So it gives the illusion oh, yeah. of mm. movement, but it's actually just huh. like the stretching of the model. All the people who have watched the gameplay trial tomorrow and know how the game actually works are going to love this. <laughs> uh, right, we're possibly a bit inside too long the beards. <laughs> well, I, I think they're going to, uh, for me, one of my projections is that they're going to uh, join the illustrious group of games with horse uh, traversal. Because I know with Primal, oh, yeah. they started with um, riding animals, yeah. um, which they hadn't done before in the series. It was all vehicles. Um, so this Far Cry is... 4 had elephants. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. You could true, ride the elephants true. in Far Cry 4. Good but point. what is an elephant but a big animal car? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, and certainly the yeah. mammoths in Far Cry Primal probably shared some of that tech. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a funny yeah, thing. Yeah, I think we're with beards yeah. on. <laughs> you know, recently... Yeah, what is a mammal? What is a mammoth but an elephant with a beard? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yes, that's where the beard tech began. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like they've just felt a little bit missed out of the club because, you know, with Zelda now come out mm. and the horse tech yeah. being in, in epic and that, obviously with The Witcher and Metal Gear Solid and, you know, that was, yeah, you can't totally. really be a triple A without you know, a, a, a representative horse. Um, <laughs> horse so I feel like is Ubisoft... This, is this why you decided with to go with motorbikes for Tokyo 42? Because in a way, it's a, mo- it's a horse, but yeah. without the demands of beard tech. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Trade secrets, but yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we really know nothing about this video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very little. I'm excited I mean, we see. say that though, but... I think all of us have played the Far Cry, yeah, so yeah. we know exactly how Yeah, exactly. How great would it be if they just, like, 
totally changed it somehow. <laughs> yeah. You know, like how? Oh. It's set in one church. There yeah. are four idiots. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's fucking over. Yeah. Done. yeah, and it's like a chamber, like theater, and you've got to somehow survive your way through QTEs. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah like um, theological debates. Yeah, it's like <laughs> QTE theological. Meet us in reasoned. <laughs> let's let's reasonably Quick reassess our reading of the Bible and what it demands of us. <laughs> And we will come to an agreement on that, and that's how we will proceed. Macri <laughs> five, and I mean, then a meth trip sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's what interested me about that real life clip. It's it kind of like presented this like really bleak environment with a really strong narrative narrative element with this guy running across the field. And my experience of Far Cry's, and I'm a sucker for those kinds of open world games, is that you fall into a rhythm of you know collecting skins and this and that and doing missions, you know and Sure, there's the excitement of the first couple of hours where you're kind of being led through stuff, but after a while, it's it's just it's this kind of repetitive experience, and you either enjoy it or not. Um, and they haven't really changed that much. Um, I never installed Primal because I kind of knew what I was going to get in for. Um, so really, I mean, really, as as you guys are saying, I'd I'd love them to do something new. Yeah, I'd love them to kind of say, yes, actually, it is a bit very big sparse experience, and we've somehow made that entertaining i don't think they'll do that obviously they're just gonna <laughs> it's a reskin we know this <laughs> you know using the same base engine etc um but yeah imagine if they took some sort of great step and just did like the spatial thing they they they, they looked at red dead redemption say and said we'd like the space of this game yeah yeah um, or something more like true detective and it's about kind of like coming to terms with your own kind of place in the psychosphere yeah, yeah, yeah sure. and that's that's the kind of area i'd like to see them change something i i don't want them to change the kind of mm-hmm. the, the thing the outposts in far cry games are my favorite things in video games basically i absolutely yeah. fucking love them and i yeah. will do them as many of them as they can make um but I, the main mission is always just this necessary evil I, i've just got to play the fucking hour of this prime allowed out in the open world and then if i want to unlock certain abilities and stuff that i've got to get to a certain point in the in the plot that has got better with each one, actually. Far Cry 3 was pretty bad for that. Far Cry 4 was a bit better. Far Cry Primal is, is really pretty good. There's not much that's, that's hard locked off by the plot, and the plot is not nearly as intrusive and annoying as, as it used to be. But yeah, I'd like to see them... I just wish the story stuff was kind of... If they just recognize that as being like one vector on which people can enjoy this thing, mm. and that made it totally optional, and uh, mm. yeah, but we're working to make it interesting So you in mentioned itself. the open world, and it's kind of made me think about... Um, you know, it's probably safe to assume that Ubisoft does like resource sharing, right? Yeah. In between <laughs> IPs. Um, and one thing Magic and I have talked about at length is the procedural tech that they use in Wildlands. So they have mm. like this, uh, supposedly this great system where they have these kind of set piece cities or whatever. And then after that, you know, I'm going to oversimplify and say they click a button and it, creates like these amazing landscapes with like roads and everything in between these set pieces mm. and i yeah. wonder and that, and that has enabled them to make that massive space that wild, wildlands is it's like giant, yeah it's that game was enormous I mean, I, I, yeah. so you know i say I, I bounced right off that game but that the world is extraordinary yeah i think it's one of the reasons i didn't like it is because i didn't feel like the game matched right the amazing yeah. place they well, sure. i i struggled with it because it was so vast and i was like I don't know how much money they would have thrown at people, like people to make this stuff. And then we found out that it's primarily a, a small team, actually, of four dudes that, you know, apart from the art teams that are making all the assets, which is, you know, there's a fair amount of them, but they, it's primarily genera- generated, including the cities. Um, hmm. 
uh, apart from, as Sean says, they had cordoned off areas where they'd have like sort of story-based missions or whatever, mm-hmm. and they had sort of custom-built things. But they, you know, when they updated something, it would ripple through the whole world, you know, update. You know, and it's the same as working with a terrain editor, but just taken to the nth degree. And I guess what you're saying is like maybe they're starting to Yeah, maybe build we'll this. see Far Cry 5 as like twice the size of previous Far yeah, Cry. Yeah, that's not impossible. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I I don't think they'll do this, but something that I'd I'd love them to return to the kind of light touch storytelling of Far Cry Two. Uh, that's not going to happen. Like that, the the kind of in your face nature of that Last Supper cover art yeah. tells you that's not going to happen. But yeah, I think there's going to be some pretty extensive church scenes and yeah, hangings preaching. and blah blah. blah. We yeah. can see it all coming. I, I do like I probably put money down and there'll be a crucifixion, right? Like yeah. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, yeah, genuinely on fire. I probably wouldn't take that bet. Fire based like, yeah. crucifixion. Whereas, like, um, actually, I realized this after I said it that, like, the thing, the other detail I really liked about Far Cry 2's setup, which I thought was super interesting. I don't know how much they meant by it, but I always appreciate when games do this kind of, like, political engagement or engagement with history in a way that's, um, really subtle and doesn't kind of Tarantino Maybe, it up yeah. for, you know, for audience consumption is, um, the flip side to the thing I said earlier about every character you can play in Far Cry 2 um, not being from the country that they're from is, is part of it. But all of them are from countries that have suffered from, like, internecine violence after the collapse of European empires. And that's, and that's universally true. There isn't an American character and there isn't a British character. Hmm. That the, the closest to it, like, a European character is Irish, which is... Yeah, sure. certain context, and there's actually a, there's a subtext in that game of like you are someone who's from a country like this entering a country like this. Right. And that is actually quite sophisticated video game theme making, right? Yeah. When it comes to mm-hmm. like particularly what the what the series has done since, like if you think about the gulf of sophistication between, I think um I think you can play as a uh, Indian or Sikh or Pakistani um mercenary in the game as well like there there are definitely nationalities and and historical conflicts represented that we've never seen you've never seen and haven't seen since yeah exactly haven't seen since whereas everything subsequently has been far more broad strokes and even when those kind of historical themes have been represented as they will be in this game because it's obviously touching on some very raw historical not not historical contemporary themes they will be presented as big entertainment right like there's a uh there's a seat character in Spy Party. I'm obliged to mention. <laughs> there is a seat character. In Spy oh yeah, Party. I've seen him. Yeah. Seen him. Um, but yeah, but like, this was, but not, again though, they're not explicitly in that context, right? Of like, we're talking about mm. countries torn apart by war in this particular way, and we're going to just feature characters from those places. Like, like I don't trust that this will necessarily be um, anything other than the sort of the Tarantino version of that particular set of historical ideas tarantino meets shortage yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah quentin tarantino's serial cafe massacre is the subtitle the full subtitle poison milk yeah um loops we've done a lot of podcasts we haven't even gone to what we've been playing no we haven't but we should let's do that cool who wants to go first what have you guys been playing tom uh, I have been playing Offworld Trading Company, hmm. oh. which is the um, RTS made by Soren Johnson, who I mentioned earlier, who is the lead designer on Civ 4. Um, and he went indie after that, and he made an RTS that is entirely about resource gathering and trading those resources. And it has something like 
12 resources or 14 or something um and that's it you just kind of mine those you you sell them you can't attack your opponents you can do certain sabotage things like disable some of their buildings or whatever um and that's been out for some time now but they just recently released uh, an expansion called jupiter's forge which is set on io which is one of jupiter's moons and it's a kind of um uh i couldn't swear to what the correct term for it is but i want to say volcanic moon <laughs> like it's a lot of lava and stuff um sounds about right then and yeah it's uh so the expansion is like um basically a bunch of new maps and two new factions and uh the maps that it has if you play on those you are playing with a slightly different set of technologies because you would need different apparatus to kind of make anything happen on that world you know they're both about terraforming to some extent or not so much terraforming but like you know using specialized technology to get human valuable things out of an alien world um and the way you do that on io is different to how you do it on mars um i to be honest the new stuff i think the new kind of um uh resource gathering system is somewhat interesting um but it's mostly just been an excuse to just replay this game, which I really like so at the time. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, dude, you go for it. No, um, I, 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 I never kind of bought it because, um, I didn't feel the, the, the price was right for me. Mm. Um, it just felt a bit expensive because the last That's time I- a very thematic reason not to buy a full <laughs> trading company. Yeah, the price, when I, when I last checked, which was a long time if ago. If enough people buy it, the it price will like, drop. It was like, it was 34.99 or something, and I, I couldn't justify it at the time. Um, but they've, um, but I, I looked into the gameplay a lot. So there, there has been some fairly extensive gameplay overhauls or changes. Not, uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that, uh, like fundamentally for every resource, there's a building that you can build to produce it. And on IO, those buildings are different and they have different relationships. So there is no water on IO, uh, okay. no naturally occurring water of any kind. So you can never mine water. The best you can do is use a solar condenser and build that on a patch of ice um which has no like resource value necessarily like every, all bits of ice are, are the same and it's really kind of inefficient you are using up uh i think you need fuel maybe for that um and basically like producing food on io is even harder than it is on mars you need uh water water needs fuel and oxygen okay. oxygen can only be gathered from ice which is in very rare spa- uh, very rare patches and um your kind of chain to producing these resources is different. So the kind of balance of it is different. I wouldn't say they've ever hauled like mechanics or sort yeah. of the fundamental thing okay, about okay. it. Um, but they've brought some fresh air. Yeah. It's a, of, like ooh, whether you should no get it. Air, <laughs> <laughs> I saw what you did there. <laughs> and, and so did you. <laughs> we all saw what you did there. Well done. <laughs> it's, it, so it's a weird game in that there's a whole diff- bunch of different ways to play it. Um, there is now a daily challenge, although I can't say that really interests me because it's, um, my pet, like, my problem with a lot of RTS, uh, games, or my, my taste in RTS is very based around the fact that I will never be very good at them. And so I don't want to play online. <laughs> and I don't yeah. really want to play the daily challenge because I'll just be horribly outclassed by everything. Uh, and so I just play against the AI and usually on very, very easy difficulties. And with Off World Trading Company, I've slowly worked my way up to, I think I am one below the difficulty the AI plays at. So that's the difficulty where it's actually fair. And then right. above that, it starts to give the AI advantages, and below that, you get advantages. Uh, but the advantages are things like your stock price is slightly higher, so it's harder for them to buy you out. And that yeah, kind of so stuff. I was going to ask, I mean, as, assuming it is an economic simulator, right? So the, like, all this stock sort of management stuff, mm. that's obviously super important. Like, like I imagine 
like I, I don't know i'm not an econophile i feel like that's should be a word <laughs> but like um i'm not so I, I wouldn't know this must be ways of like playing a market right you know like where you sort of you know lay out the resource of you know that's required to create a separate resource make it super cheap or whatever you know yeah is so that sort of mechanic to there the base is game? that happens um my one of my sort of criticisms of it was that it seemed to happen the same way every game which was that food just ends up being mega mega important and incredibly expensive and so you just go into food you, right. you just figure out a way to make food and like i say food requires water keep your industry running because everyone needs uh, food, you or? will need food anyway you only need a little bit so to supply yourself you wouldn't need to produce much food at all but because everyone needs it the price for it keeps right. skyrocketing and it's the only thing that reliably just goes up in price every game okay. and uh, the price per unit for a resource caps out at a thousand dollars and food will almost always get there and nothing else really will um and so you might as well make food and there are a whole loads of texts that are really good for that and i found myself doing basically that every game and then i had one game where um so the price you can do like sort of uh trading tricks where i mean really ends up again being the same every time uh, where i will produce a whole load of food and i won't sell any of it i'll just keep it right because the price keeps going up because no one's really selling very much if i sell some of it the price goes down a bit and so even if i really need the money i won't sell my food i'll sell everything else i'll sell other things that are already not that great in price and then when i sell them they tank in price completely and my stock becomes valueless but i don't care because that's not how i'm gonna make my so the simulation feels like it sounds like it's quite accurate right? it is reasonably uh, there's something i didn't understand about the game and if people know the game better than me they can correct me on this if i'm wrong but i think uh, i was always confused about like uh, prices going up and down and everything and i don't really know what's causing that um you know to some extent i know that if a player sells a whole load of of something it will um crash in price and if they buy a whole lot of something it'll, it'll spike in price but you also get told oh there's a surplus of food right now right. and so the price is plummeting or there's a shortage of oxygen so the price is skyrocketing and i thought that was like the game organically doing that and from playing more and more i'm pretty sure it's only uh fake shortages and fake surpluses there's a thing you can build called the hacker array where you can make you can pretend there's a shortage or pretend there's a surplus just to change the stock price sorry just to change the resource price for now and so you spike it then you sell all your stuff and you get a better rate right and i think that's the only time it tells you about surplus like all the rest is just organic fluctuations based on what people are buying or selling um and anytime the reason i came to this conclusion was i was hoarding food i was making a whole load of it my enemy was not making any food at all um and it kept telling me there's a surplus of food and i'm like i'm the only fucker with any food and i haven't sold a single <laughs> apple <do> you know? <laughs> and the enemy had a hacker array and there would just be a surplus of food every like three minutes and i'm like i think there's a surplus of food i think we're actually right. doing pretty good on the food front um and so yeah i think that that's just the hacker array and then everything else the problem is like you can look at what your enemy is doing there's no like fog of war or anything but it's pretty hard to kind of reason about, oh, he must have 300 fuel or he That's must a have lot a to like look at and try and extrapolate yeah, you, from, you know, like building you know, patterns. Yeah, in practice, you just imagine. kind of can't. I, so I only had one game where food was not actually the, the sort of money uh, mm-hmm. maker. And uh, my enemy had gone into food in a big way. And I had started going to food as usual. And then I saw the price was actually not climbing as high as some of the other things. And in particular, water, which I need to make food was priced higher than food and i'm like well this is silly i'm just converting an expensive thing into a cheaper thing um and my enemy had loads and loads of food stuff and i thought uh, well i've got the stockpile of food i'm just going to sell it which will a make me money cash me out of a thing that i'm not really interested in making anymore and also it will crash the stock price of this thing that he's making loads of 
Uh, and so I started to feel like, oh, I'm doing like proper that, that's trader cool. jerk that things. Makes you feel super cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> it did until I realized he has two space elevators, which lets right. you sell your products off world. Right. And that is why he was making food because the price of food off world was fucking huge as always. <laughs> and so he was, the Sounds fact that way ahead of you, crash. buddy. <laughs> yeah. So my, the one time I got to do something different and, uh, didn't make food and yeah. didn't win that way. Uh, it was futile anyway, because he was still selling food at a crazy price. Right. Mm. Sounds deep. Down, sounds it is. Deep. I still really enjoy it. Like that, that, the fact that it's the same every time is actually, you know, uh, most RTSs have, strategies that are kind of dominant yeah, and I mean, or, or, like generally consistent or, even if okay. even if the objective is just to make as much food as possible there are still different ways of doing that there are things like if you get a patent lab early on then you can patent the transparent aluminium technology which means that now you can use aluminium instead of glass which is way way cheaper and that lets you build a space elevator first so now you can sell your food off world before the other guy and so there is still interesting things to do that way and it is really satisfying to buy people out because <laughs> like, you get uh, this very interesting like get to feel like tom cruise or whatever on Wall yeah Street. yeah it's an interesting comparison to like other rts's where um some rts's you have to like eliminate the opponent to win like a single player you know like dawn of war or something uh you just have to like, completely crush the opponent and then the, the mission's over and it moves on um and starcraft single player missions have victory conditions like that starcraft multiplayer uh someone surrenders at some point and in off-world trading company the way the game ends is you buy someone else out and whether or not you have enough money to do that is kind of left pretty ambiguous like you can right. buy individual shares you could sit down and do the maths like on a calculator okay if one share cost or 100 shares cost me this much and i need to buy four more at that price and then when i bought half of them it'll turn into a block of shares that i have to buy and those are an inflated price and you know i don't know how to work it out but it's probably possible in practice you don't do that you just have to like oh if it's twenty four thousand per hundred chair i think it's going to be about like 350k for the final Ball chunk pocket. so if i have three of those and then that do i the, like the question of do i have enough to buy them out is literally the whole game if you do <laughs> right. if you do nothing yeah. else matters it doesn't matter what price Just like how the buy out button and exactly it's done. Yeah. You don't have enough cash on hand to do it ever, but uh, really, but, um, you could sell all your stuff, right? Yeah. And usually you wouldn't want to sell all your, like your steel because you need to build stuff or you wouldn't want to sell all your water because you're using that to make food. Um, on IO, you can't make oxygen except when the sun is out. And the days are something like 46 you hours You've got to make long. oxygen while the sun shines. <laughs> That's what they say on IO. We'll say that. Um, we'll say that all the time. <clears throat> Unless you get the patent that lets your solar condensers run all night. Um, they don't say that. But anyway, you don't want to sell... <laughs> Small print. Yeah, exactly. There are reasons you want to stockpile and you don't want to sell it. Unless selling everything you have would make you enough money to buy out your only opponent, in which case the whole game is over right now. Um, and so it, I think it does a good job of like making that end phase of an RTS not boring. It's If you are over that threshold, you just literally click the win button. It's just all over. If you are not sure, you can keep making stuff and keep making your lead better and if you're the kind of rts player like i am where you kind of even after you kind of know you've won you actually just want to make make your stuff better and just make your system more efficient and make even more money i had a game the other day where um uh i was playing as the robotic people who have they don't need any food but it's still worth going into food because everyone else needs food um but also they don't need any fuel because they use electricity for everything um and so you can kind of get out of some of the more expensive um uh, things that end up draining your money and i've tried them a couple of times and just the map didn't lend itself or i fucked up one time i didn't make an electronics factory and as robots you really need some electronics <laughs> and i just turns out 
<laughs> and literally just got to bite where I was like, basically their food. <laughs> they eat their own kind. <laughs> they, cannibals, robot cannibals. So it's kind of like for cannibals. advanced buildings, you either need glass or electronics, and for robots, you need electronics. Um, and I hadn't got my apparatus to build that, and I just got to the point where it was, it was going to be quicker to start a new game than it was to build that now. Uh, and then I finally figured out ro- robotics, and I, I had in a game of that where it just went really well, and I not only i managed to sort of simultaneously go into food and stockpile a huge amount of food and that uh price skyrocketed but i also had a whole load of water and fuel and those were hugely expensive and i also made two space elevators and i could sell them on sell my stuff on earth for a different price and steel was incredibly expensive on earth so i was able to make a huge amount of money from steel so wait so this game really gets you into trading i mean i'm getting the sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) not not famously a sort of fascinating game sort of space but this has really got you on board (laughs) yeah all three of the nouns in the in the game's title are important yeah (laughs) so this was but that was a situation where like i had won (laughs) i had won like you know 15 minutes into this game and i probably played for another 15 minutes after that because i was like but look how much i can win like (laughs) look at how i've completely cornered these my victory lap (laughs) yeah the bahamas victory lap of yeah i've been playing a rts well i've decided it's an rts uh called forts I don't know if you heard about it. It's like a, I, th- I think it's an indie game. I don't know actually much about the production studio. Who Did you just it. arrive in your house one day? Like- <laughs> no, I was watching a, a streamer that I, I watch. I watch a lot of streams and, um, they played it as like a sort of group game. And the, the premise behind the game is you get started with a base that has a core and you kind of build like in a polybridge style, you build your fort up. And along with that, you put weapons on it and then you have to operate the weapons and shoot down the enemy's fort. Mm. But it hap- like so much happens so quickly that it ends up feeling like quite a frantic RTS sort of kind experience. of like a build, build ordery. Yeah, sort of. like you know you got to do things really quickly. And I actually bought copies for everyone in the household so that they would enjoy it too <laughs> <laughs> with me. But we haven't got around to actually um, properly co-oping it. But there's great co-op and well multiplayer sort of team team based modes. Um, but you guys haven't heard about the game, so it kind of looks Doesn't like worms happen. when you first see it. Yeah, right. I think um, I have heard. Of so, it, but, but then, but then it's got. Have you seen bridge building games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So bridge, it's, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got it's got an element which looks like worms and a bridge building game mm. um, combined. So it's two base. naturally opposed elements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, with full physics bases, so you know you hit some strut and it might kind of topple your base or whatever with your arced mortar or whatever yeah and they, um, and they actually cool. really play into the you know the architectural side of it because you know it's at some points in you know an architectural structure it's all basically trusses that you build and they've got like great easy mechanics to extend your trusses and won't go into it but you know like magic says if you hit like one of the key points in the base the whole thing will like pivot down and crash and you're dead you know but also you can build things slanted so that you know, sniper fire will bounce off because it's, you know, hmm. proper. Gets pretty deep it gets pretty, pretty quick. It gets pretty deep and it all happens. It's, it's not like a super long experience because, you know, the multiplayer scene is already quite developed, I think. So, and there's no real uh, ELO in the matchmaking. There's no matchmaking actually. Right. So like people are good at it and you play and you die quickly. Um, because they, it is like that RTS sort of rush vibe where you're building your base, but then some people focus on, Know, building the technology to get a cannon together and just decimate you but it's a great game it's worth checking out i don't think it's very expensive mm. that's um, not pretty cool yeah i like the idea of because is there an element of 
like not twitch skill but like skill to the deployment of those weapons or is victory kind of like a foregone conclusion if you have the right things no it's definitely got it got an element of um strategy to how you place things and stuff like one of the one of the mechanics is um you you kind of put your weapons inside your base uh where you protect it behind a door that like a steel door and anytime you want to fire that weapon the steel door opens automatically but then that weapon is now vulnerable. Hmm. So if they have like a machine gun or that's been upgraded to a Gatling gun and they just fire in that general direction, that weapon's generally going to die. Um, and for example, there's a mortar weapon that you can use that shoots up, but machine guns will automatically shoot them down. Right. But if, for example, you have your machine guns behind closed doors and an enemy fires mortars, your machine guns will open their doors to shoot down the mortars, at which point... You you use... can then snipe out the machine guns. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Because the doors are open yeah. sort of thing. So it, it gets pretty deep. I mean, I've seen it kind of go that way, but also generally it does feel like if you get that weapon quickly, it is kind of over. Right. Unless you're like, good at countering it, I suppose. And there are ways to. So. Mm. What yeah. um, state does the game in? Is it out-out or is it early access? Is it... It's out-out. Right. Out. Oh... It's hard to say because Actually, I, mean, I don't. No, no, saying. they've got a little campaign. Yeah, and it's out, out. They've it's got out, a out. multiplayer. Yeah, it seems out. It seems it's pretty out. out. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite out. How out does it seem? Yeah. 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 No, it's definitely a couple meters out. Yeah, I mean the other the other thing we we got a PlayStation for the first time, um, so we've been smashing through just like every single top end PlayStation game out exclusive. There. <laughs> yeah. So Naughty Dog stuff, so Last of Us, Uncharted. Um, but we're all playing them simul- simultaneously. We've got uh, Horizon Zero Dawn as well. Mm. Um, yeah, we were literally uh, playing Horizon, <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy, uh, Last of Us, and we're on Uncharted 3 currently. Yeah. <laughs> all at the same all time. All at the same time. <laughs> Just so. trying to gobble up all the PlayStation stuff. <laughs> um, Every third-person action adventure <laughs> you <Yeah>. can possibly <laughs> stomach at the same time. Yeah, and then on, on PC, I'm playing Project Cars. Um, oh, cool. we, we mentioned gateway drugs sort of off air earlier, <laughs> but, um, uh, um, uh, we were talking about Warhammer <laughs> to be specific. We weren't talking about drugs at all. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about drugs on the podcast, <laughs> but, um, uh, GTA got me back into racing. Right. Um, of all the things that Grand Theft Auto does, um, it's weird that it's got a very hardcore racing scene. Mm. Um, and I was enjoying the cars in that game, enjoying earning and buying the cars. And found some YouTubers that are super into the racing. And that's been a gateway into, I mean, very quickly, I went onto Forza Horizons on PC, which is fucking amazing. Um, and then, um, now I'm on Project Cars, um, which is like my first sim-ish, yeah. you know, uh, I know that the hardcores will, uh, debate that. <laughs> cars, man. Um, yeah. But I got a head tracker. Um, so now <laughs> when I turn my head, um, the guy in the car turns his head and that's was a fun, 50 quid to spend. <laughs> <laughs> Seemingly fairly worthless. Although it does aid with the immersion. Um, it's funny when I come into a room and ask you a question and you look over and your whole screen, like, <laughs> totally whack. And yeah. you're like, what? Um, yeah. And then the last thing was finished just playing uh, a couple of short games. So we played Journey and um, What Remains of Edith Finch, mm-hmm. um, which are fantastic because you can just clock them. Um, in a sitting, um, and be done with it and uh, feel satisfied, mm. um, and walk away, you know, 
Um, walk Reggie. away. You can walk away. Yeah, you can, you can leave. <laughs> yeah, you can you, leave. You're, you're not that guy who yeah. five thousand hours later is leaving an angry Steam review <laughs> saying that for some fucking reason... fucking Edith Finch. I've been yeah. playing this game five thousand hours. And I just run out of content. I yeah. can't believe it. It's done everything. Look, I felt every feeling. Look, I really felt it yeah. six thousand times. I just can't feel it. I think. I, mean, I think the main thing no for me game. with that game is that it's a, it's a game about death mm. um, and different ways in which it happens. Um, uh, and it's kind of awesome. It's kind of fascinating. Um, the it's different perspectives. So fantastic. I yeah. mean, the craft in that yeah. game is so evident, right? For mm. me, I, I didn't play it. I watched it being played, which is actually a tragedy of games like this, yeah. in a way. But it's just it's such a like a a meal for the eye and the mind. Is mm. great yeah. thing. There's a lot of, you do get something uh, specific from playing it yourself in that you like in each sort of scenario because they're all so different. You don't know what you're what you do in it yet and mm. sometimes just the process of playing around with that there'd be scenes where i'm looking at the scene and i think it's non-interactive and then i realize oh no wait i can control this thing yeah, yeah. And what then... is my role in this tragedy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean sean pointed out an interesting thing there because we watched it it, it was a really strange setup because I, I bought the game and played it just kind of by myself because it's like it's whatever two hours i think yeah two um um uh and then we 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 always watch twitch when we we're eating food um and we sat down and uh you know, uh, Lyric had just switched on uh, the game. So as I finished the game, I went to go eat dinner. <laughs> and then I just watched the whole thing immediately <laughs> afterwards. Um, and then Sean, Sean watched the game and he was like, well, I, mean, I don't really need to play it now because <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I've just watched it. So, mm. he, you know, Sean didn't get the game um, because there's no point, really. I mean, mm. yeah. And that, that's why you say it's a tragedy. And it's a game company that took seven, I think it was seven years on the game. Small, yeah. small team, you know, it was, I think it was like eight people. Mm. Yeah. And but it shows. Yeah. Like it shows when you invest that time and resources yeah. in something like this. Like, yeah. you know, that was the surprise for me. I think we spoke, we spoke about it when it came out, but the, um, it wasn't just the, 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 yeah, the craft of the game. It was the fact that it has the capacity to keep surprising you as you go, which so many, so few games like that can do. Yeah. Because, mm. um, with any other game of that sort, um, which is sort of, putting it in the same category as Gone Home, Dear Esther, uh, Stories Untold, that kind of thing. There's an element of like, oh, I've seen what the the remit of this game is now. Even if it's a two-hour experience within ten minutes, you've kind of gotten its method for delivering the story. Mm. And things will change and your emotional journey will continue, but you've seen its things. Whereas I think the reason um, Eat the Finch stands out to me is because even in its last act, you are surprised by mm. what it is doing and how it is doing it and that's i guess what makes it for me like we we you know yeah. we're very close to um discussing this as we were coming back up to keep recording the pub but like that's what separates it for me from other games in that category including gone home and dear esther is that i have not felt that kind of like engaged all the way to the end there's definitely been a point with other games of this sort where i felt okay i can't get how you're telling me the story now tell me the rest of it so that we can sort of mm. tie a bow on this and leave it whereas with edith finch i was kind of excited to discover how it was going to end things and not just how in terms of what would happen to the characters but how in terms of like they were materially like yeah. how am what I am i going to be doing next? yeah what yeah. am i going to be doing when this ends see now we promise not to debate the dear esther thing yeah okay. um and that's part of the reason why i think dear esther was a better game mm. because um uh, edith finch whilst it was fantastically crafted it was all these 
separate little things and mm. i didn't feel of i didn't think of it as a it was a a, a, sing, a great single product um but personally because if these are very emotional journeys you of know course, they yeah. are they, they are artistic experiences and it's you know we go back to the debate but um i felt uh, dear esther was more elegant Mm. Um, and that's why it stands as one of my favorite games ever. Um, because it is, it is just so simple and it is, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have some surprise around the corner. And that's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it does what it does just kind of so cleanly. Um, and it doesn't have what I would, what, what I would say is sometimes it's sort of gimmicky things. Uh, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love them in Edith Finch mm. and love the thing, but I, I, for me, it kind of put it on a lower rung of the sort of Hoyt, the high art element um <laughs> you almost said hoity the, then yeah you're so close <laughs> yeah. about to say hoity toity um uh, i've had a couple of beers you guys have fed me um <laughs> that's what we do old crafty hand oak aged vintage and um, which really went to my head on this hot day so. dark and multi <laughs> uh we have, we have one beer left we have to fight for uh no i actually agree with you on that i think um i think it came from for me actually because i do agree because I, I fell in love with dearest when it came out because it was at the vanguard of this kind of thing I think the reason dearest, uh, sorry, um, Edith Finch had the same impact is because it felt like a, a meaningful sort of advance. Like, I don't think, like, I think it would, um, I think it would actually in some ways benefit from figuring out which mechanic it was about. Maybe even being even shorter, right? Like, you know, maybe all mm. games should be 15 minutes long, but just, just the swing death. Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again, spinning <laughs> around on a branch. <laughs> exactly. Like, um, but there was a sense of, so, and I think maybe the reason this stood out for me is because I may have said this on the podcast before, but when I started playing it, I was like almost immediately over it. Like part of me in my head was not writing, but like thinking the thing I would say on the podcast, which is that like, I love people making these games. I love that games can be about more things. Why are all games about a quirky family on the, on the Pacific Northwest coast of America? Like, why is that? Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where is the thematic variety here? Where is the kind of going? And then the game completely called my number on that because it went in a completely different direction yeah. from what I was expecting it to go. I think because Gone Home had primed me sure. to expect a certain thing. I had from... exactly the same thing because it, it opens with a forest walk. Yeah. And, and I was like, I mean, I'm totally down for this. I've got an afternoon to spend. Yeah. You know, I just want to walk through beautiful forests and, you know, have DOS with more effects, you know, mm. and, you know, newer tech. Um, but it did, as you say, kind of. Yeah. Well, because I mean, the very first scene of that game is, is being on the ferry on the way across the sound oh, to yeah, the forest. Yeah, yeah. And like, I've been on that ferry. Like I've, I've gotten a ferry across the Puget Sound in Seattle and I kind of know that environment. And I know that a lot of developers are based out on, you know, in Seattle and environs and in Spokane and in Washington and Portland. And so there's a sort of like, oh, okay, we're going to get another story about this. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I and I like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I was into it, but not like all the way into it. Yeah. And then the fact that it then threw off my expectations and suddenly I am an owl <laughs> was like, oh no, shit, like oh, was a tumbling a shark, wake, which is yeah. sort of maybe equivalent to the effect that Dear Esther had, um, years previous where suddenly it's enough to be like, actually, it's just this. You're just having a walk. You're just listening to a story. And that's, that is the game. Yeah. The, the two effects are almost equivalent because of the way they defy expectation, but they only work in the, that well, they, they have that impact in the context in which they arrived, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. And DS that didn't have anything like it before. So yeah, there exactly. was nothing to measure it against. Well, I remember so. reviewing DRS for PC Gamer. It's one of the first reviews I did as like a very junior writer. And I had to like, it was difficult because people, you know, at that time, I don't think the apparatus of game reviewing had really adapted to the idea that you had to explain 
that nothing you had to, happens. <laughs> yeah, you had to explain, like, there are no guns in this. Like, I mean, my background, you know, I was very new at PC Gamer at that time, and my background prior to that had been in the theatre, and I felt mm. very comfortable describing it in theatre terms. Like, I still think Dear Esther, in some ways, is a, like, a one-man Edinburgh Fringe show delivered yeah. in a novel way. It really is. Essentially. Like, you know, it, it's a monologue. It's a, it's a, it's a monologue performance yeah. um, delivered in an interesting way. Um, and, you know, I can describe it in those terms, but it was really weird having to go like, and I need to specify for the benefit of the audience reading this, there are no guns and at no point aliens show up. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you don't, you genuinely don't do quote unquote anything. And you can't fail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Except in your ability to yeah. interpret the story. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a player of that game without knowing anything about it, I played it like, I think maybe three years after its release, but. Like, I remember thinking, like, something was going to come around the corner, man. Like, where's, <laughs> yeah, where's the, the game? Where's, where's the game? Yeah. You know, yeah, like, where, where's the monster? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, there's ghosts and stuff, aren't there? You know, like, oh, and then you get to the end, but you're like, oh, wait. Esther is a cyborg. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And it's like you say, I mean, if nothing had come before and no one could describe it and there was no apparatus in the mm. review, I mean, I mean it's like, the, the, it's the whole genre makes me wonder, because, we played Journey as well recently, and mm. you know our, our friend Other Sean came over, and um, <laughs> is that how you refer to him? I'm, sometimes I'm Other Sean, <laughs> I guess. Depends yeah. how um, good you've been. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's he's kind of like quite anti-violence in games, um, even though he's he's uh, he's basically Binding of Isaac guy. Um, mm. He's got like more like all the fucking achievements, and he's like endlessly in the womb of some. We're gonna mother. Um, so as long as um, it's tear based violence, <laughs> I don't know how. I've never played it. Worst sentence on this. Podcast. I don't know what the game is. I don't know what the setup is. It's something to do with that sort of thing. I don't. Yeah, know. You shoot um, your tears at enemies. You shoot your tears. So that seems to be inside a big to... colon or a uterus. Or I don't. Yeah, know. yeah. It's something like that. Um, uh, but uh, he was so attracted to the fact that you you can't dying journey you you experience it's, it's a spiritual experience um more than anything else you know the, the 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 skill in that is is about how you relax and how you think um uh, as opposed to you know how quick your reactions are or mm. you know what your strategy your your war strategy is um so um i still you know it's still this this thing of like there's obviously so much space and so many people who haven't had the gaming medium uh um, give them what what allows them to express themselves or the play that they are really into because a lot of people are turned off by shooting mm. are turned off by um, strategy and having to think fast and this sort of stuff the stuff that we all love you know um, but yeah it just it just the the doors are still there and they, they you know gone home and uh, Edith Finch and dear Esther and Journey they kind of creak them open but like there's no AAA that's really jumped on that yeah um, I think that's um, the reason though, that I would I would happily put Edith Finch in front of people yeah. because the plurality of experiences that it offers kind of impress something that games can do that mm-hmm. other media can do. Yeah. But like the reason I say that, like I think Dear Esther would, would work as a monologue delivered on a stage or would work as a short film or, you know, there's a few other contexts that would work in. I, I struggle more to figure out the other media that Edith Finch would work in. Yeah. I think as a consequence of the fact that it is, as you say, a, a fractured experience, like there's a lot yeah. of different things going on, but there's, I think that's, you know, that doesn't make it objectively better, mm. but I think it means that as a case for games, yeah, it's the one you go like, look at, look at how many different competing ideas can be brought together in one thing with the common 
with the common um, factor of you can interact it and kind of. Well, you're responsible for these things. Yeah, you can be, yeah, you can you can make these terrible fucking things happen over and over again. Yeah. A million different wacky contexts. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault, idiot. <laughs> I mean, that's what I felt. There's there's the there's a there's a there's a death in it where you know spoilers, but um, mm. you're a kid on a swing and you the you know you're 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 trying to. I mean, the whole thing is about a family that. It dies in tra- tragic ways and accident, sort of horrible accidents. It's kind of like a series of unfortunate events sort of set up on, in a very similar location. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you're on a swing and you know, you, you as a kid, you, you wanted to, uh, do like the full 360 over the, yeah. over the bow of the thing, which is, you know, un- sort of over a cliff as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so you kind of controlling the forward and back motion. You're trying to build up the speed of the swing and very quickly you kind of, because there's a narrative that's going over the top, there's someone sort of with a sort of dub over the top. Um, you kind of, you kind of know that this, this, this is going to end badly, but you still kind of go on. You kind of like, yeah, I, I'm swinging and it's like, I'm having, it's quite a rush actually. I felt slightly nauseous because it's really beautifully executed. That's the head dragon. Um, um, and yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking that, and I'd hate to do it in like VR or something, but, um, but there is a line where it's like, okay, that, that was the whole experience was great, but now I'm going to end it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you kind of, you're just like, I know it's going to be bad, but I'm just going to go and push through. And <laughs> I think that's a weird the thing. Happen. The game doesn't quite reconcile um, is that you're kind of like, it foreshadows that stuff so yeah, much. Yeah. Like, and you'd still do it because yeah. it's like, well, I'm all in. <laughs> like, yeah. how much of this are you going to show me? Like, you know, uh, yeah. it's a strange, a strange position to put the player in where yeah. you know it's inevitable, but you do it anyway because you know it's how you progress. Yeah. It doesn't give you another option if you're like, yeah. and then you got off the swing. <laughs> and, and then you stopped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no more game happened. Yeah. Well, you- what were you playing? Yeah, where have you been playing? What have I playing? I, I, so I've um, I've been playing... I played a bunch of Prey, but we're going to talk about that on the specials Prey spin-off pod that will be out this week as well. Um, I did uh, sort of... I've been keeping up with Dawn of War. I think it was mentioned earlier. Dawn of War multiplayer. I don't have a huge much to say about it because it's getting a um, big patch this week, apparently, which is not out yet. And I say that because um, this is going to be a, another instance of... Uh, I was really wrong about a thing. <laughs> I, I just want to, you know, return to the podcast every now and then to be like, you know that thing I said? That was dumb. <laughs> um, so uh, when I first started playing Dawn of War multiplayer, I was really impressed by the way it felt like um, there didn't seem to be like an an alpha strategy, a fixed meta, a one way to win, a kind of a specific way to uh, to play that um, would necessarily give you a huge advantage. And I was impressed by the way that for an RTS particularly, it kind of managed to have some drama right through to the end game. It didn't feel you have that moment where someone else has just won and you're kind of going through the motions as they enjoy winning, which is what we discussed in um, Off-World Trading Company. Um, all of that stuff was it was it was totally incorrect. It was so incorrect, in fact, that the developers themselves put out a kind of, you know, expressed intent for what their next patch was going to do, which is like, we're going to fix that exact thing that uh, Chris was wrong about. <laughs> because that is totally a problem for the game. I, I just missed it. Like, it was... I mean, I, I think maybe I acknowledged this was possible at the time, but it was totally that thing of, like, when everyone's new to the game and everyone, everything seems possible, you see all these strategies. But, like, even a few weeks into the game's life, it does feel very prescribed. And so I played... I went back to it um, to kind of... And I quickly realised that, like, oh, my kind of, like, homebrew strategy for how to begin a match as space marines and kind of build up my defense uh was is bad 
just bad, really. Like, yeah. it's just not good it space marines. Work. Um, or like, or to, I mean, so to take a uh, a thing from the tabletop stuff I do, there's basically no such thing as an overpowered unit. There's just an undercosted unit. Like, um, you can have anything at any power level as long as it costs you the right amount to get it. Yeah. And the balancing of that stuff isn't quite right. So, you know, there are the most efficient things. And if you don't have the most efficient things, then you're at a disadvantage. And yeah, that's, that's you flat lose. You're yeah, not getting then, them soon enough. And then disadvantages stack up over time. Like, the disadvantages aren't so pronounced that it ends the game immediately. But they're, disav- they're, they're pronounced enough that it will make a difference 20 minutes in. Is there, like, an in- inevitability? Yeah, there is a sense of, like, <clears throat> oh, oh, I can't mm. win this now. Mm. And and that stuff all, you know, and so the, the you know, this is not going to be a long bit because my, my experience was, it was, was to go back in and play about you know, five, five or six games. So, um, we're going to go do some questions now. Our first question is from Phil, who writes, Toot Toot. To be fair, that is not his fault. That's how I ventured questions might be asked. <laughs> Are there any features in games past that you could feel, that you feel could be explored in better detail now, but seem to remain unused? Features. Yeah, like stuff games tried to do in the past that they haven't tried to do since, but modern technology might enable. I can give a quick answer to this, because the answer I go to whenever people ask a question about uh, games with amazing potential that probably deserve a sequel or any kind of variant on, on what hasn't come back, and the answer is Terra Nova, which was a sort of, op- like, I guess a precursor to things like Armour, actually, in some ways, like a kind of joint arms military simulator, albeit sci-fi. Um, but... Was it sort of Delta Force era? Yeah, pre actually, but okay. it was sci-fi themed. It was almost tribes, like tribes one era. Um, but it had the idea that you would command all of the different parts of a kind of big sci-fi battle separately. So you could jump into a, an aircraft, you could jump into a soldier on the ground, you could be a big mech, you could be a tank, and you would kind of coordinate the battle doing all of those different things as kind of was fun to you and made sense to you strategically. And I can't think of a, I think the obviously the there's some scope within the armor games to do that, but it's not kind of the way they're intended to be played. You're not supposed to be like leaping between bodies. I can't think of a. It seems like a, a concept that deserves higher production values than it could get in the late '90s. Mm. Yeah, I, I I will say, just you just reminded me that uh, armor released this patch, which was called the Zeus patch, mm. which would which allowed you to um, real time level edit sort of during a multiplayer match. Um, so. It it felt a bit like um what was that it was not wasn't called Primal, it was some kind of savage 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 or something savage, like that. Yeah. Um and there's been a few RTSs where you you have a player kind of controlling the game as if it was an RTS yeah. and then you had some guys on the ground um doing real time stuff, um from a third person or first person. And that selection does that a bit too. Yeah, and with Zeus you can you can set up the the what's happening from a god view and then you can jump into those units um but it's not a game it's it's like a it's it's like also, an addition uh carrier command was the most recent take on that i can remember where yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a remake of an even older carrier command but um yeah you had a carrier and the carrier could launch both aircraft and also just tanks the amphibious tanks could roll out of it and you can control any of them anytime ai wasn't that great though like as soon as you left them they would fail at pathfinding and, mm. and get stuck the thing i would actually like is um so Die by the Sword did, like, mouse-driven sword swinging, where you mm-hmm. sort of swipe the mouse to swipe, but it was all kind of inverse kinematics where your character would, you know, try and sort of physically do the same motion as you. Um, and it didn't entirely work, but the idea of, you know, precisely chopping off uh, an orc's 
arm and stuff uh, was good. And you could do that in VR now way easier. <laughs> There's been a couple of attempts, I think. That what was that? Um, that writer Neil Neil, Neil Stevenson. Neil John Stevenson. Clang. Oh yeah, didn't that fail? Yeah. Uh, no, but, but what's the, what's what was the game you were playing? Um, what a sword fight! Oh, Exanima. Exanima. That's a fantastic, yeah. fit, like a sort of isometric, physics-based, um, yeah, sword fighting game. It's yeah. in all inverse kinematic stuff. Mm. It's it's great. It's um, I think it's still in early access potentially. Um, but it's a, it's, and it's really weird to control. They've got a totally new take on that kind of style of game. It's worth checking out. Exanima. Mm, is that its full title? Yeah. There was a Kickstarter for an RPG that had something, I can't remember the full title. The thing is mostly Latin and one of the words was like, sounded like the word mundane. So it didn't, it wasn't a great title because right. it made it sound like it was boring. But, uh, it was just a bunch of Latin words and it was very physics-y combat. Possibly it got, uh, you know, reevaluated that name choice. Mm. And that, that would be good actually. Yeah, because it's, it's fairly distant they from what re-examined the, the game. it. Oh. <laughs> re-examined it. Nice. We have really had a long afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i i'm gonna punt our game tokyo 42 a little bit um, <laughs> could have been done um, way better today <laughs> what we've done is in terms of old mechanics is we felt like that some old games that had the top-down perspective there was more that could be done from that perspective um so we've what we what we felt like one of the things we've done is we've added verticality um to you know you know i don't know if you remember like gta one and two like it was top down and you kind of had this you could climb up ladders um and get on tops of buildings but it was all still kind of on a 2d plane essentially mm. you, did, you didn't have any vertical you're a slightly bigger spriteman yeah um so it gave this illusion and it just you could never really do st- stuff from the tops of those buildings um and that was one of the things we wanted to do was like you know, those old, I love that old perspective, you know, and we all, we all have that, that sensible moment of seeing those soccer players running around or, um, you know, the cannon fodder thing. And that, that could be taken so much further. And I feel like that's one of the things we wanted to explore when we were playing the game was like, what if third person or first person was never discovered <laughs> and that we were locked in, uh, you know, a top down quite far mm. view, you know, um, where, where, where would gaming have gone? You know, and we, we wanted to take like one step forward from, you know, the games in the nineties, um, or, you know, and hopefully a few more steps as well. Um, yeah, because like imagine a triple A making a game from that perspective, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. I guess we've seen it a bit with GTA and the, the races, you know, the, they, they just that, released that new yeah, DLC. Tiny right? races DLC. Um, and, uh, Codemasters are redoing micro machines. Are they? Yeah. yeah they Fantastic. just announced that. Um, so. That was one I was thinking of because I mean the question kind of takes you back a bit to try to think of old classic games. Yeah, I was thinking like Road Rash. Yeah, I would dig to play like a new high fidelity Road Rash, even though it's probably going to be limited by its arcadey sort of scope. Yeah, uh, so just smashing just, people on bikes. Yeah, but like in a in like a really nice high fidelity sort of yeah. way now. You know. So like what with... Full Throttle remastered wasn't enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, Full Throttle remastered was awesome, but that's. Um, Wow, that bike fighting mechanic is so difficult to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So the next question is a, a relatively serious one. And um, I guess just a, a you know, a, a difficult question, but one worth asking, I think, this week particularly. It uh, comes from Ian, who writes, uh, Dear Crate and Crowbar, usually I find emails to you very easy to write, but I admit that I'm struggling with this one, so I'll keep it short. I've been trying to play Tokyo 42 today, so it's kind of pertinent. I mean, we did mention that you guys were coming on the podcast, so maybe Ian knows that. 
about because I have to review it, but it isn't easy. There's no reason why its cartoon violence should feel any different today than before the events in Manchester, my hometown, but it does. My question is, are there ever games you find you can't play because of events in the world or your personal life, or you're always able to separate the two? And what do you think about how games ter- tackle terrorism generally? Has there ever been a convincing title that attempts to get a handle on what might make somebody commit an atrocity? Or is that beyond our medium? Love the pod, Ian. So I think it's a good and valid question um, to ask. Um, not of you guys specifically, but of the medium, basically. Um, well, I mean, I'd like to address our game just sort of specifically a little oh, sure. bit. Of course, um, yeah. And sort of as we discussed, we actually paused to decide whether or not we'd answer this question um, because it's, it's very, it's very tricky territory. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if we have a very good answer to that from sort of a Tokyo 42 perspective. You know, when we, when we went into making the game, it was kind of, there was very little questions around the morality of the violence and stuff. It was kind of like, you know, we're, we're making a game and, you know, a lot of the time when we're, when we're in games, we're shooting stuff and, you know, this is our first game and it would be fairly, um, uh, uh, pretentious of us to not make a shooting game in a way, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's kind of like if we took a step initially and, go, and went, no, we're above all that, you know, um, because we've, I don't know, I've enjoyed shooting dudes in their faces for many, many years. Um, and, you know, that seemed to be kind of like a, a logical first step. There wasn't very many questions asked. Um, and we kind of ran head first into it. Um, uh, you know, I think, I think the setup of our game, it kind of has that GTA thing of you can, you can shoot civilians, um, in the game. And that, that really kind of puts into relief, uh, a more serious element of, and I think that's, you know, it's one of the more serious elements of our game, um, is that that's possible. We've tried to post rationalize and put some, some elements in the game where, you know, these guys don't actually die. They, they've got nanomeds which repair well, them. And, and, and in fact, that's a very, very important hinging point on the whole narrative of the game. Yeah. Is that there's a, an, a corporation which keeps people immortal. Right. Yeah. You know, through the use of yeah. a medicine that yeah. does bring them back to life after yeah. you shoot them and you can observe it in the yeah. game. And, and life as a commodity is kind of like one of the core things of this thing so that's the way we get away from but at the same time um i i you know i like after this week um uh it has raised a lot of questions around mm. all that sort of stuff it it has been like you know just shooting stuff is difficult you know and i was playing it playing horizon zero dawn and it's like god why am i killing these robot machines <laughs> <laughs> um and specifically in that game it's because they're so well animated um and they respond so kind of tragically um that you kind of and you know and i i felt like you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the higher fidelity that makes it more impactful. Um, mm. and I struggled with it. Um, but yeah, you know, in general, like just this whole week has, you know, we've had a lot of back and forth because we're, we're trying to re- release the game and it's like there are PR questions around our game. Um, uh, even though it's not, it is a cartoon, cartoon version of violence and, um, you know, for the most part, you kind of, you're attacking baddies, you know, mm. um, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's a fairly serious one. And, um, in terms of like the actual question, personally, there's been a couple of instances I can't really recall. Um, I think it was actually GTA. There was a few violent episodes in GTA five, which I just couldn't play. I just didn't want to play mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of torture scenes, which I was like, I just don't want to be that guy doing yeah. that thing. Mm-hmm. It was just too real and it was like too close to home. Um, but yeah, sorry. That was, I'd no, like, no, yeah. I think that's, I mean, you know, like for me, I had the similar experience in that, um, 
like Call of Duty basically lost me when it became a modern day thing because it's just too close to things that are actually happening and mm. I still don't feel that that's an appropriate thing to make kind of spectacular pop culture out of. And I appreciate there's a degree of hypocrisy in saying that, yes, it's okay to tell those things about World War Two, but not... Well, my other question around that is that, and we spoke a little bit with Far Cry, is like, is it okay if we go just do that somewhere else? Yeah. You know, is, do we feel okay if we're, if we're going into Tibet and, you know, um, and doing yeah. whatever? Um, and, and, and does it only suddenly become a problem if we're, you know, in some place we understand? Um, or- I think, um, I think the problem for me comes when you're specifically referencing real conflicts for effect. Um, more so than even just real places. It's when it's, you know, you're kind of utilizing some aspect of real, political factors or real kind of historical factors to kind of base your game in, but then kind of spinning them in a kind of, you know, I mean, it's, it, it this is the reason, you know, to go back to a, a subject from earlier, it's the reason that I had a problem with Wildlands is because it's the, it's the Clancy thing of saying like, what if a real thing, but on steroids, what if a real thing, but they all had EMPs, which is the kind of, the kind of typical Clancy plot when these things weren't happening close to home with the frequency that they are, it was easier to to write off the things that happen in these games as fantasies. The Wildlands' problem is that its ideas about kind of mad hyper-military cartels funneling arms into America went arrived at a time when that stopped being fodder for paperback military thrillers and Mm. became actual policy. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? In one of the most powerful countries in the world. And that's where games and, and any other pop, form of pop culture lose control over their own narrative as soon as they step into that territory. Mm. And so as soon as Call of Duty stepped into the Middle East, for example, I felt like it lost control of its own tone to a, to a huge degree. Whereas when it was located in World War II, that's something that we have, you know, sufficient distance from as a culture to tell stories about that uh, don't necessarily... And I appreciate there is a hypocrisy there, but it doesn't necessarily fit the same criteria as... The reason, my reasons for my ongoing discomfort with that era of, of Call of Duty games, specifically. Um, but I suppose this, this regards games in, you know, I think there's still, and it's still perfectly reasonable, I think, in the aftermath of something shocking, like a terror attack for people to just not want to participate in violent games. Like, that's a perfectly mm. reasonable thing Absolutely. to just distance yourself from. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been one of my feelings. Mm. You know, I don't like, to, you know, today I was like thinking, oh God, thank God for our age rating. You know, yeah. <laughs> on our game, even though we're, you know, we're trying to push it down to increase the market. But at the same time, it's like, even though it's a cartoon thing, it's like, geez, you know, like this stuff is real, you know, and, um, yeah, age ratings are important and good. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, in a way, I think, um, you know, the, the feeling that, uh, Ian expresses here is like it, in a way, I think it's a, it's a great, great indication of what games are because it's they are subjective experiences at the end of the day right and they they provide like a an ability for you to like funnel things that you feel into the experience you're having with the game and if you manage to marry the two in such a way that it means that you can have a unique experience in the Mm. game you know like so i mean it's in, in in the example of tokyo 42 um you know it it's unfortunate and i don't you know like it's it's just the way it is unfortunately the game can't be positioned in any other space yeah you know otherwise it becomes something completely different but you know what he feels and the difficulty for it like you know totally understandable and i I don't think that he should force himself to review the game for that you know like wait a while you know like you know if it's uncomfortable then yeah totally don't Mm. don't force yourself through it and i think there's a lot of things like there's that um 
game called That Dragon Cancer. Mm. Like I can imagine that hits home for a lot of people, right? Yeah. You know, like, and, and it's the same reason I wouldn't, you know, recommend it to someone who's lost their child to cancer, you know, or maybe do, I don't know, but either way, it's, it's, it's a, like, it's a very difficult decision, it's a right? d- difficult yeah. thing to do, you know, like when we were, when we were at Rest, we were sat next to, I, can't, I unfortunately can't remember the name of the game. These two guys had made, uh, it was a difficult oh, it was game. a fantastic game. And it was uh, about the death of uh, the one Dev's brother. Yes. Um, I don't know if it, if it rings a bell. Unfortunately not. Um, uh, did it take place in a, like a series of sort of um, vignettes with like a black background? Yes. That's kind of like a pseudo E3 you were, you type. Were on the opposite side of us at right. that one. Yeah, 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 yeah it was yeah. at Res. Um, I also can't remember the name of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah unfortunately, it was a fantastic game. It's kind of like a first person uh, uh, sort of felt a little bit like Stanley Parable setup. You're going through yeah. a lot of corridors and stuff, and it's all kind of like low lighting. And um, But it was about the death of. Uh, uh, one of the devs brothers, um, I can't remember to what, um, but a few of the friends came and sat down and played it. Um, and we were sat next to them and they walked away. I mean, there were people in just, just shattered in tears. Um, and, you know, shaking, you know, because they, they kind of had such a personal experience through the whole thing. Um, and as Sean says, it was kind of like, we are reaching a point of fidelity where these, and, and we do respect the medium enough that we do take it seriously. Yeah. You know? Um, and ser- serious questions. I guess they have to be asked. You know, we, we'd hate to do it, you know, especially when we're making a game about jumping off buildings in Tokyo. Um, uh, it's still, it's, it's, it does have to be framed, you know, especially at a time like this and this week, um, in England. Um, we do have to frame it with that. We can't avoid the facts, mm. you know, that there's shooting in our game and, you know, you throw grenades around and you you kill baddies and whatever, and um, you know, it's it's just yeah. I mean, we don't do that in life. It's not something to be done, and yet we're doing it in games. <laughs> the name of that game was Three Twenty One. Three Twenty One. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. It's, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, it's um, a great game. It's a uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily an answerable question necessarily because you know one of our we have the the freedom to tell stories about stuff and, and incorporate stuff as, as pop culture and as entertainment that is distasteful in another context and that context is important. It doesn't invalidate the experience of someone who's who finds that stuff uncomfortable in the aftermath of, of real events. But I don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's a bigger discussion I don't necessarily have answers for about why why you know conflict has an enduring appeal as a basis for entertainment and why yeah there's hyper stylized conflict is just a thing that we're used to mm. in so many different contexts games are special in this way but there's also there's threads of this running through other mediums like i know you and i are both big fans of murder mysteries and it's just like yeah when there's this weird thing where that has become such a incredibly palatable civilized respectable fun form of entertainment is like oh someone got killed let's find out how it happened like it's so light-hearted and so uh, frivolous on tv um that it, we've we're so disconnected from that and i'm sure if you have like a loved one who's been murdered that it takes on a completely different yeah, a whole, suddenly a whole genre that makes its entire basis out of like someone gets killed at the bottom of the garden and the next the rest of the show is going to be a characterful detective of some kind uh, gathering yeah. clues becomes wildly you know wildly uncomfortable not insensitive in the way that it's conceived but uncomfortable to watch and you know this is the thing like i'm not going to land on an answer for this after a couple of beers in a very hot room yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i don't think there's this the, the, you know what we're talking about is relativity there isn't it it's like 
you know, if it's if it's something that's far away from us, we can play with it. If it's something that's close, we just can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, this actually makes it more so the case, more so a shame that we lost that Edith Finch discussion because during that discussion, we were uh, and lost to time. We were explicitly flippant about the fact that, that is a game about death and about a kind of supernatural, unfortunate series of events mm. that befalls a particular family, and. Um, it is enjoyable in a kind of macabre way because you know what's going to happen to people. But again, if you have lost a loved one to any kind of tragic accident, I imagine that entire game is kind of unbearable, not just because of its, you know, direct subject matter, but because of the, the way it presents it. The idea that it's a game, a series of accidents, a series of unfortunate accidents can be a kind of, uh, interesting structural motif yeah. rather than yeah. just a shit thing yeah. that happens to human beings. Like, it's uh yeah it's 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 tough I, I you know I think maybe our medium hits it more than other mediums necessarily because of the participatory element and exactly, because yeah. conflict is perfect for games yeah. because you know if you guys were making a multiplayer game about trying to figure out who in a crowd is a potential enemy and how you you know that's that that is the the basic rule set that you want to generate interesting game drama from then suddenly crowds and guns and physics grenades and things become the game elements that allow you to express that mm. and it's just a you know i mean to be to be and i think you know i could say this because you know didn't work on your game i think your art style helps a great deal in that context the fact that you've distanced it so far from your kind of daytime totally. daytime mm. cyberpunk kind of pastel mm. everything is sort of happening in the clouds in tokyo because it's all yeah. rooftops like i've never looked at your game and thought real crowds of people in a real place mm. Yeah, you know, and isn't it, the game never uh, uh, asks of you to do that, um, but yeah, to <laughs> attack civilians, but, um, you know, but for immersion, it's possible. Um, so, yeah, tricky one for sure, and a, a really good question. Just yeah, oh, I yeah, mean, just totally. as, just as an aside, I think there, there's something to be careful around, and I don't, I, I really don't know how to put this into words, and I probably will trip up. Um, but we do have to be careful that we that the medium um does does allow things to be expressed um and that it doesn't get shut down due to fear um mm. and i know i know there are moral lines that always need to happen um uh and we need to be constantly moving those lines but we have to we have to just be aware that you know you know it is a medium that we 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 want it to continue to express ourselves um uh i'm not saying that we all want to go and kill things but um there's 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 things that we don't know about ourselves yet um that i think games can can get closer to uh expressing that um and we have to be careful not to shut down those things too soon um mm. because we are going into a conserv feels like a conservative era you know yeah um, and it's very easy for everyone just to kind of go oh, fuck it i'm i'm scared of doing certain things in games um uh just to, due to um you know it insulting my own interests you know? absolutely um that is all the questions we've got time for this week. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the Creating Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us a question to creatingcrowbar.com or tweeting us on Twitter at Creating Crowbar. Creating Crowbar is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers who allow us to do this podcast and spin-off podcasts like Miniatures Monthly and the Standalone Podcast. There's another one of them coming extremely soon, if not imminently as you listen to this, and also allows us to bring cool guests onto the show as has happened this this very week so thank you for that if you'd like to find out more about our patreon you can do so at patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar you can also find our youtube videos on youtube at youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar 
And it would be very helpful to us if you would leave a review on iTunes or just, you know, click the engagement buttons. Just engage with it. Do the engaging things on the engaging. I don't know. I don't know how that works. It just It's good. I understand that it's good and it'll make things better for everybody if you do that. Just start clicking buttons. Just start clicking buttons on iTunes and basically, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you in advance for just clicking buttons on iTunes until our star rating goes up or down or sideways or whatever you feel is appropriate. I found out recently that we're like the 68th most popular podcast in Canada. Okay. I don't know how that works, but apparently... Always like Canada. Thanks, Canada. <laughs> Good place. Yeah. Uh, no other territory, just Canada. Canadians are the best. Yeah. I think we, all, we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to follow us on Twitter as individuals, I'm C. Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. We'll go around the circle. Tom... Uh, I am Pentact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Magic. I have no personal uh, okay. online accounts, but you can <gasps> Tokyo 42. check out Tokyo42.com. Um, games coming out on Wednesday, uh, 31st of uh, May on Xbox and PC, so check that out. Do so. Um, sure. Our game Twitter is Tokyo42Game, spelt as it said. Yeah. And my personal one is Lofar42, L-O-F-A-R-4-2. Did that 42 come before the Tokyo 42? It did not. Okay. <laughs> and thanks so much for having us. No, of great. course. It was it was great to have you on. You, yeah. should, you should come yeah. on at the time when the, the holidays are done and the yeah. we'll, we'll see what the, what, what the so listeners behind. think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will dig it. But yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're getting to yeah. the bottom of games criticism here. And I mean yeah. the bottom in like two different ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess there were a few moments in Edith Fitch which were like, ah. Uh, and yes, and dear Esther, how do you feel about that? That was like, ah. Uh... <laughs> Damn. Damn. Feels good to be in the Hebrides. Yeah, okay.